welcome to Beers and Banter, a Mike and Colin podcast, the show where two long-time friends get together to enjoy adult beverages and talk nonsense about the stuff they love. This week we're talking Pulp Fiction. Now a couple orders of business before we get started. First, this is a deep dive, so consider this a spoiler warning. And secondly, this is an adult show. There's going to be a lot of adult language fueled by adult beverages, so earmuffs for all little Padawans out there. Michael, we're back. We're back, baby. You pumped? I'm very pumped. Me too. Yep. All right. To now, finish the talk, I got lots to say still. Oh, of course. I mean, I got too like much said, to say. No one wants to This might be the first ever three-parter ever. <laughs> I hope, I hope not. not. But I hope not. I hope not for whoever is listening to this. My God, I'm full of tangents though. But uh, we love this movie. But you know I'm how, also excited you know, for this get, beer. I can get all very tangenty. Yes. So. Now, all right. Well, what is the beer? <laughs> Even your tangent talk was tangenty. Oh, I know. I'm Inception. Let's talk about the beer. I'm very excited for this beer. Yes. I have a story about this beer. Okay. Do you want but, to tell a story first, or do you well, want to get into it? All right. Now, for your stag, yes. I was your best man. Right. And we went uh, craft hopping. beer hopping. Yeah, we did. Now, the brewery of this that we're about to drink, this beer, yeah. Storm Brewing, we stopped in there. Yeah, it's beloved, and it's a bit of a dive. It's beloved. It is a bit of a dive. And the big selling point when we were there is that they had this new pineapple beer. Right. Now, I believe that this is this beer. It might be. Yeah, I think it is. Pineapple. Pil- I. You can't ask me because I was very drunk at that point. Oh, you and me I both. Barely, rem- <laughs> barely you remember You and it. me both. But uh, but I distinctly, because it was that was, we were already, I think, four or five breweries deep. Yes, we were, yeah. And and you and me started early. Yeah, we, we pre-drank. <laughs> I distinctly remember enjoying a delicious pineapple beer at Storm Brewing. This is probably it, because they're known so, for this, so. I am assuming this is the very said same beer. Yeah, Pineapple Paradise Pilsner by Storm Brewing. I insisted on this one because it reminded me of Big Kahuna Burger. Right, and that, yeah, exactly. It's uh, faintly uh, related. So, it was the closest as we could this get This is today. the kind of beer, if Big Kahuna Burger was in France, you would drink. Yes. I'd be like, mm, mm, that is a tasty beer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited because it smells so good. It's This smells like pineapple, and most... As most people, craft beer drinkers know, pineapple is a hard flavor to get into a beer. Like, it just doesn't seem to pop out, so. I make it a rule that I always catch the bouquet before we sample mm-hmm. the beer. Oh Doesn't this God. smell like a fresh pineapple? It smells like a pineapple. Yeah, like, you this know when This is you, one of the best smelling beers I've ever had. Have you ever bought, like, you know, pre-cut pineapple in, like, the little plastic container or whatever? Yes. Like, fresh pineapple. Yes. Not, like, canned, but, like, a fresh pineapple, and then it has the juice in it? That's what this smells like. Michael, I was in Hawaii recently. Yeah, hell yeah. That's, see, I, that's the story I thought you were going to tell. I might as well share that, is yeah. that I was in Maui, and I arrived the day before the wildfires. Right. But not that long ago, <laughs> like last week, I was eating Maui Farmer's Market pineapple, Yeah, which is, I don't want to sound pineapple snobby, but a cut, <laughs> as somebody who's been, also been to Hawaii- Yes, it is, it is different. It it's is, a cut above. It's way better. Yes. Right? Okay, I don't think that's unfair. No, it's not unfair. It's amazing. It's amazing. It was yeah. one of the best fruits I've ever had in my life. This beer reminds me of it that smells taste. smells so good. So I'm very excited in to try beer, it. In a beer, this is... Oh. It's got a beautiful can it came in, too. And it, very, it doesn't have any information. There's no IBU. There's no... The only thing it tells you is that it's 5%. But there's no ingredients on the can. Like, there's nothing. That's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. The only thing it has is, like, their website, and it says, keep refrigerated vegan-friendly. I think it's supposed to be separate, but it looks like it's together. 
in this day and age, usually cans give you Something. an excess of it information. Says just their information. Just, but it's a beautiful can. Yeah. You can go to Instagram and check it out, but Well Give it a go because uh, it smells. Oh, why don't you look at the text? Talk about the texture too, and, and it's and the thick. Look. Well, as I was pouring it, I was like, "This is very interesting for a pilsner, right?" It's not clear at all. I can't see through the cup. This the looks like the Paradise City. It does, yeah. It looks but like I a don't, heavy beer. I don't think that there's any lactose. Well, I wouldn't well, know. I wouldn't know because they don't. I wouldn't know because the there's no ingredients. Yeah, who knows? But have you ever seen a pilsner like this? No, I have not, and that's why I was like, "What is this? What is so, this? It smells excited. like a dream, though." Yep. But all right, let's give. Let's oh, give man, it a it rip. It does. It smells like fresh pineapple. Oh my god. That is what it is. It's fresh pineapple and you taste just like it. Oh boy. Oh, we got spoiled this week. Wow. That is a beer. Oh my god. I'm really happy I I insisted yes, on this beer. Yes, I am happy you insisted on it too. Oh boy. Yep. I feel like Jules eating that burger. Yeah. Oh, God damn. God damn. That is a tasty beer. Oh, this is so good. Beer. Wow. Breakfast of champions. It honestly tastes like pineapple juice, but not like so. It's not so acidic. Weirdly, I enjoy this more. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. I I will drink this faster than I drink pineapple. Than a regular pineapple juice, yeah, because of the acidity. Exactly. There's a little. It fights you a little bit. Damn, it's good. This is going to go down too fast. Oh boy, this is a danger. Oh, this This is is a big um, danger. So good, and I feel like I'm getting some vitamin C or something. You're deluding yourself into thinking (laughs) it's healthy. That's how good this beer is. How good it is. You're like this can't be bad for me. It's so Mm -mm. tasty. Do you have a score in your head? That's really good. That is, yeah, I do. There's a nine and a half for me. Oh, wow. Uh, I was going to give it a 9.7. Yeah. It's very good. Like, this, this is, uh, I actually, this is one of the best beers we've had for the show. It is. It, it really is. And I don't even know what those 0.3 percentage would be. I think the only 0.3 percentage would be that you can't give it a 10, basically. I, I, yeah. I basically can't give it a 10. But the only reason, okay, the 0.3 percent is because it doesn't taste like beer. No, it does not. So I'm like, this I, is this is about as far from pilsner as you can get and still yeah, be a pilsner. Exactly. So for I, me, this is what I don't know what witchcraft this is, but this for, is this, this is, is an amazing. achievement in beer. For me, this is this is pineapple juice that's going to get me drunk. That's what this is. I don't taste beer. Thank so. goodness we only bought the one. Well, yeah, because I would drink eight of them. I'm going to be done this before we even start talking about the movie. Again. I know it's that good. So okay, so the point three percent is knocked off because I'm I'm testing a beer. But I wouldn't know this is beer. Yeah, I think you're really just kind of like, but if it's that but if buffer, you yeah. know, you have yeah. something that somehow is better. Yeah. But I think this is probably one of the three or four best beers we've done for the this show. This is so good. And we're 60 something episodes. This is incredible. Deep. Like, right. I don't even know how this exists. Yeah. This yeah. might be the best beer we've done for the show. 9.8. I just bumped it up. This might be the best beer we've done for the show. It might be. Yeah. And Paradise City was fucking It's incredible. right there. They're both, they're like, they're, there's, it's like A1 and A. Yeah, and A, exactly. 1A and 1B. I don't think there's any lactose in this. It doesn't see, feel like cream. That melt really, feels not no. there. It's, but it's, it's a how, little, it's a little thinner. How did they make you know? a thin beer with this much flavor in it? I don't know how they did it. it. It's like punching me in the mouth. I don't know so how much they pineapple. did pineapple. Well done, Storm Brewing. Yeah. If this is the beer I had on my steak, I do not remember it. Holy I'll smokes. That. And I'm mad at myself for me, being so, well, be no. so drunk. That's no, not, not true. I'm not. I I regret nothing, but uh, 
That's a story for. But a if I drank podcast. this at Storm Brewing, I must have been. I mean, I must have enjoyed it then. I just didn't know I enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, tomorrow you're gonna walk right down. I'm the buying hill more of these. And buy more. No, of I'm these. I'm gonna buy them out of my local liquor store. They're, yeah, they're, they're not gonna have any left. This is so good. What a treat! Yeah. What a treat. This is Whew. the this is the pulp this fiction. This is the pulp fiction of beer. Of beer. It is. It's different. It's different. It's perfectly it different. It looks beautiful. Yep. It even sounds cool. No, <laughs> it even sounds cool. It doesn't. It's not like carbonated or anything. No, but it doesn't. It it looks like pineapple juice. It tastes like pineapple juice, but not acidic. So it's like yes. it took out the worst part of pineapple juice. Yeah. Like there's no heart. Like instead of acidity, let's put liquor in there. That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> Like you love it's pineapple crazy. juice? Well, it doesn't bite. It's just it gets you drunk instead. It's like, unbelievable. What what madman invented? I think this? that's why they didn't put ingredients on the can because the ingredients are magic. It's just magic. It's magic. It's we didn't just put any magic. ingredients in. We just used magic. Yeah, it's made out of magic. So good for them. Damn, that's good. Oh, this is a, an achievement. I'm sorry that you can't. If you're not local out there, you can't drink it. I I really feel bad. Ugh, I feel I, bad for you. Well. I I'd like to think that throughout the world, there's other beers. Other people have, as on the ground have other incredible breweries that are doing. They do. That's what things. I mentioned last episode. Yeah. That I wish I could get beer from around the world. I see things on Instagram. I'm like, I want that beer, I want but that. I but I can't. You know, yeah. it's in Switzerland. I'm like, I can't get there. I can't get that beer. Oh boy. Not okay. In, not anytime soon. But yeah, I'm like, I was inspired. To, I'm like, well, it's the closest thing that we'll get Big Kahuna, the to beer. Big Kahuna beer. So. Pineapple Paradise Pilsner. Damn, it's good. Oh, man. Jesus. I'm mad at myself we only bought the one. Yeah. Well, it's still open. Maybe we can go back. Yeah, and we, can always, we can always go back later. But Whew. back to work. Yeah, back, back on the grind. Back, back to the Pulp Fiction. We have so much more to say about this. We really do. But maybe we should start someplace easy, familiar, something we haven't talked about. How this was kind of a weird nexus point for a lot of different actors and actresses. Sure. Yeah, let's talk about it the cast. It made some people's careers. Yeah. It reignited other people's careers. Yep. How culturally, that's actually something we barely talked about, how culturally big a moment this was. Oh, yeah. This was a movie that cost $8 million to make. It made something like two hundred million dollars at the box office. Yeah, two hundred thirteen million. So adjusted for inflation, it probably would cost twenty million dollars to make. Well, yeah, it cost eight and a half million. But five million of that was for the cast. Yeah, that's crazy. But, but a lot of them took significant pay cuts. At least yeah, certain most actors. Of them did, yeah. I mean, of course, this is going to be one of those rewarded in revenues. Yes. But before we really get into it, I want to tell this story. Is that recently I was watching a clip of Quentin Tarantino talk to Joe Rogan about the making of this film. Right. And his early dealings with TriStar, they had a list. Basically, they're like, look, you're making real movies now. Yes. So it's he not a matter to. of... Because he wrote, he wrote, you mentioned yourself, he'd write characters with yeah. a specific person in yeah, mind. Yeah, he wrote parts for actors. He wrote, wrote parts for actors. And most of them are filled by them. And most of them are filled by them. Harvey Keitel, for example. Yeah. But, uh, well, we'll talk about all this, but yep. he went to, to TriStar and they're like, look, make a list. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, make a list of everyone that you think that you one might want to get in your film. Cause he wasn't making films at that level yet. Yeah. And he's like, and we will tell you who we will not, you know, like, yeah. Who you can have and not one of his 
the two he couldn't use, I can't remember one of them, but the other one was John Travolta. <laughs> was a not use. So he had to absolutely... Well, at that time, he was making talking dog movies and stuff. Yes. That were... Look who's... Look well, who's talking. Look who's talking. Look who's talking to. Look who's talking now. Look who's talking now. Etc. That that gem, look who's talking now. Which was the level of film I was watching before I watched Pulp Fiction. Right. So... It was only natural. But he, he was on the persona non grata list. He was irrelevant at that time. Completely irrelevant. Yeah. And I, it was a real cup, like, that's not a word you like to throw around, but, because you don't like to, but it was a legitimate comeback. Think of how many leading man roles after this yeah, John don't call it a comeback. got it, but on it the was. strength of this movie. Yep. It remade his career. He got a second, which doesn't, you don't always get a second act no. in Hollywood. He no. got one. He really did. On the back of this movie. Yeah. And he wasn't the first choice for, the, the character was actually written for Michael Madsen. Who did Wyatt Earp instead? Yes, he did. Wow. Good choice. And uh, I, I, when I was doing, I did do some research to do this show, but he's like, Michael Madsen regretted doing Wyatt Earp. And like, yeah, no shit. Because <laughs> he could have been in Pulp Fiction. Because he could have been But it's not the same movie with him. Honestly, well, like. It, it, I do it, like the idea, though, because he's Vic. Yes. And this is Vincent of having a Vega brother, like the kind twin of brothers, brothers. Twin brothers. Yeah. Well, they were talking, he was. Quentin Tarantino was talking about... Of course, about, they both die in the, their films, but... Well, Quentin Tarantino was make, talking about making a prequel, where it was a spinoff, where it was going to be the Vega Brothers. Yes. And it was going to have both Which of them, I would right? love to see. Yeah, but now they're too old. But Well, yeah. they're too old now. Unless they did something, some... The de-aging Indiana Jones thing? Well, or written in such a way that they're in heaven or something, because they both die <laughs> in their films. Yeah, that's true. But it does lend, and I'm sure you know this, I'm going to mention it briefly, because that hasn't come up. There's a, like a... like. There is in Stephen King. It's this is a cohesive universe. Yes. It's a Quentin verse. All his movies exist in the same universe. Yeah, we haven't talked about that. And that was another thing that uh that was original at the time. Now we're used to the MCU where one movie bleeds into another. But at that time that was a that was a new thing. That was a that's not something that was done in movies. Even in sequels, like it was like, okay, it has to be a direct sequel for it to be the same the same world. Yeah. Stephen King's novels are the same. They all exist in the same, the same world. Yeah, exactly. Now, in well, the realm a, he deals in the realm he deal, deals with is always horror fantasy. Yeah. But Quentin Tarantino's films are very different. All over the place. All over but the place. But they're all But they all they're like all this shit happens in the same universe. That's right. And there's there's little things all the time like the red apple cigarettes. Like oh, there it's always mm. a red apple thing. Red apple is big. Yeah. Which I thought Okay, this is the level of depth of these films, I thought that was like an old timey brand of cigarettes, yeah. and I didn't realize he just made up. He just made it up, yeah. Because I'm like that. He just makes a- up a lot of brands, and that was again a Quentin Tarantino thing at the time. Yeah, I'm like Red Apple. That seems like something that like you know like your great grandpa would have smoked. Yeah, but back to the acting. Yes. God, sidetrack. Yeah, we got sidetracked. We were ta- we were talking about uh, John Travolta. We can't glance over that. Like he's he's for all intents and purposes, he's the main star of the movie because he's in every. If you, this movie had a protagonist, yeah, it would be him. And he's in every story, not scene, and but he every is a, story. And he is the, the through line. He's the thread. The thread of yeah. all these different. They all. Yeah. He's kind of the nexus of the of the yeah. narrative. And uh, it's not a, the movie isn't about him. No, but he's a part of every story. It's true. And he, I mean, he does such a great job. Especially, it's such a huge leap of faith for him because you think about it. We literally said, like, I think his movie before this was "Look Who's Talking." I to. think it was. And it's like he's making these kid-friendly movies now. Like he was that kind of guy. 
you know, like uh, rom-com male leading male guy. And he was like, I'm going to make this gritty kind of independent F bond laden doing drugs movie. It's a big leap of faith for a guy like that to take. It, it is. Ex- it is very against type. It's yeah. Very against type. Like, you know, I can't think of a career move that is more against type than yeah. him. Like doing Michael this. Madsen, it makes sense. He had made Reservoir it, Dogs in a similar he, vein. A right? couple years ago, he's cutting a guy's ears off. Also, a couple of years ago. Let's be fair, Michael Madsen. Yes, exactly. And not John Travolta. Exactly. As much as I love Michael Madsen, I know him from Quentin Tarantino films. Right. You might not necessarily know John Travolta from Quentin Tarantino no. films. No, it's a different level of movie star we're talking about yeah. here. I mean, that's fair or not. That is the reality it's, of the situation. It's crazy to me that A, he wanted to do it, and B, that Quentin Tarantino wanted him. It's it's To me, it's a weird thought in 1993 or whatever when they're making the movie for John Travolta, but it's the perfect fit. And some people are trying it's to retrofit so the narrative. You're like, well, you just wanted to see him dance. And he's like, no. 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 That's a bonus. Yeah. That's just a bonus. Yeah. He's like, oh, and I had this dance scene, and that's art. I mean- so much of this movie is one of those movies that spills out from the scene movie into real life. And you wonder how much of the narrative is outside of the film is, is bullshit. That's one I actually believe. Well, I believe it because it was in the script and it was supposed to be Michael Madsen. Yes. So how can you say that he did it because John Travolta was in the movie or yeah. picked John Travolta because of the dance scene? It doesn't make sense. He was intending a different actor to do it. So of well, course. Think, think of the flip. It's not like anyone was waiting to see Mia Wallace dance because yes. Uma Thurman had never been in a movie before. That's right. You know, this was her, like, I think her first movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, didn't look into it, but it's her first big movie. It's that's her for first, sure. definitely her first big movie. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I, I, she wasn't the first choice. She, the, the role was not written for her. You probably knew this from your research. Uh, Meg Ryan, Holly Hunter, Michelle Pfeiffer Michelle was the Pfeiffer, front runner. Uh, a lot of other big Julie names like Louis that. Julie Dreyfus was really almost had the role. Yeah. But they all balked at it because their schedules, for starters, because they were she was well, Julia, she was Julia making Seinfeld. was already making Seinfeld exactly. So she's like, I don't have time for that, and it's such a departure. But she was a big front runner for the role. But the the biggest one that and I mean, we don't come on. Let's be honest. We don't think of Pulp Fiction in 1992 the same way we do in 2023. No, that's this is a small cutesy indie film you yes. do on your downtime. Exactly. This is like. When actors do a it's, Broadway play. Yeah, you don't think you of know? it as a career changer. It's not, a, no. Yeah. No. Because you make that happen. Kinda Nobody like, who did this film like, could have seen the outcome. No, exactly. I, I mean, I know John Travolta got paid, reports vary between 100 and 140 grand. It, it was not a lot. No. I mean, well, of course he got rewarded on the back end. Well, but the, like, the movie had a $5 million budget until Bruce Willis came on. And then it had an $8.5 million budget. <laughs> so... Nobody's making a lot of money except for one guy. Well, you know what's really funny is that uh, even he took a pay cut to do this. For him at the time. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, he's diehard. Well, it was, he was on the back of some stinkers too. He was. Well, he's making, made Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk, Color of Night. He was, he had made a few shitty movies in a row. But he was still a draw. He was still still a draw. Bruce Willis. And I remember, because you you remember back when we used to watch television and there'd be commercials for movies? Yeah. He was a big part of the marketing. He definitely was. They pushed it, especially internationally. It was a big deal for Miramax that they got Bruce Willis. It was, they were good, like, it was a big get. Now we can throw him into marketing and people will go see this movie just because he's in it. It's kind of the opposite of Die Hard, where he got removed from the marketing. That's true. 
And in Pulp Fiction, he got pushed. He got to the, pushed to the front, even though the he front. wasn't the star. We glanced over. I, I want to go back quickly. We'll get to we'll get to Bruce Willis, but well, I don't want to miss anything. We talked about we're talking Pulp Fiction. This I want to talk about Uma talk Thurman about and how perfect. Okay. So there was a ton of actresses they wanted. Like you said, Michelle Pfeiffer was the one Quentin kind of envisioned. She said no. Uma Thurman said no. Well, but I think, he was so I think in Quentin's mind, he's got like Michelle Pfeiffer and Scarface. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that makes like sense. Like the the coked out yes wife, you know. Yeah. So, but he, Uma Thurman blew, blew him away. But she said no. He read her the script over the phone. Apparently, he called her one night and read yeah. the whole script over the phone, and she said yes. She brings the perfect balance of kind of like dangerous but naive. Like she's not intending to cause problems, but she's gonna. Oh, she's the chaos friend. She is, but she is perfect you know? in this. Oh role. boy, is she? Yeah, she is. Like, like she, you can see it. If she doesn't OD, she probably gets Vincent killed. Yes. Let's put it that way. Yes. Like, <laughs> like, look. It's Tony Rocky Horror got pushed out of a window for rubbing her feet. Well, okay, all right. There, that's. We have barely t- dipped our toes in the real plot aspects of that movie. Yeah. Of this movie now. This is like the gimp. There's more, so many questions about this movie. Yes. This is the thing, and I wanted to bring this up. All right. No, God, are we going to start talking about characters? We're gonna yeah, s- we'll get back to it. It's fine. No. Who cares? When Mia tells Vincent that there is nothing between her and Tony Rockahara, do you believe her? I do. You do? I Yeah. I, I, I believe that nothing happened in her mind, but- I don't think I don't think Marcellus Wallace sees it that way. Well, okay, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Is I do believe her. I believe she's like, yeah, it was no big deal. And Marcellus is like, no. Do you it was think a deal. she got a foot massage? Yeah, I do. I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> and anyways. that is actually, I think, lends into when Jules and Vincent have their long discussion about the importance of a foot massage and the emotional resonance of it. Yes. I think that is one of those ways that the film folds in on itself. Yeah. It's like, look, we all say it doesn't mean shit, but like, look, it does. Yeah. And Vincent is of the, like, and that goes back to his moral He knows it means something. He knows it means something. And And so when he's talking to himself and he's like, look, I'm going to drink your drink, drink it slow, be respectful. Yeah. But then go home, jerk off, go to sleep and pretend like this never fucking Because he's like, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. He is just, he is so close to breaking his moral code. The reason he's in the bathroom so long is he's like, I can't leave right now. I can't or leave. it's going to go bad. It's going to go bad. And unfortunately, Mia uses that time to snort his heroin. Yes. <laughs> so, I, 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 wanted God. To, I wanted to bring this up eventually, but like, think how different this movie is if Vincent doesn't take so long in the fucking bathroom. Yes. This movie is built around Vincent's trips to the bathroom. <laughs> it's true, actually. <laughs> Right, there's three very core, three very core events trips. happen, like in these two days. Thank God he eats all the bread. His shits are super important. <laughs> like <laughs> he goes, pretends like he's gonna piss, but it's really to talk to himself and plan the next move before he fucks the boss's wife. Which, let's yeah. be real, was on the cards. Yeah, of course it was. That's you know? that's why he's in there talking himself out of it. You know, it's and not like it's not like something he imagined. Well, they literally And that is why the script is so good is because yes. the Tony Rockahari stuff lays the groundwork for the possibility. Yes, it does. The whole thing lays groundwork. Okay, now we're getting into it, but the whole oh, thing God, is Oh god, we started with the actress. This film, this that's fucking okay. film. So the whole thing lays into it because like I said, Vince's is the 
is the advocate. He's like, it means something. And so as soon as they, they start, like, he, he convinces Jules of it. He's like, yes. okay, yeah. And then later on, when he talks to Paul, the, the bartender, yes. he's like, oh, you're in trouble. Like, have you met Mia? Have you met he's Mia? He's like, she's going to try and fuck you. Nah, he's like, basically, that's what they're getting at. They're like, you're in trouble, Vince. Like, you don't understand what you're getting into. And he's he's visibly getting agitated in the strip club, the bar there. Yes. He's like, he's like, look, I can, I have willpower. Nothing's going to happen. And then now he goes out on this date with her. And he's like, it's not a date. Paul goes, yeah. Paul goes, have you met Mia? Yeah. No. And then they laugh, and Jules and goes, mm, "I gotta take a piss. I'm out of here." I, and Jules goes, "I'm, just, I gotta piss. Yeah. I'm out of here." <laughs> My name's Paul, and this is between, between y'all. <laughs> like but, he's like, "Look, Mia's, yeah, Mia's that way." So then <laughs> he's like, "It's not a date. I'm just keeping her company." And they're like, "It's a date for Mia." Yeah, like that. You got to be careful. Tell That's that, basically what they're saying. They're tell like, "Tell that to Tony Rockahor." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Th- this is what I'm getting at. So then, so then. uh He's getting agitated about it because he's realizing he's like, I might have bit off more than I can chew here yeah. by agreeing to this, right? Yes. So then they're on their date and it's going well. well and Vince it, is new back from Amsterdam. That's he's probably right. like, shit, boss. Yeah, I'll take your yeah, out, Whatever. Sure. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. And then, so then they're they're having their date at Jack yeah. Rabbit Slims and they have that silence and he's, she's pause. like, don't you hate that uncomfortable silence? And he's like, yeah, we don't know each other that well. It's going to happen. And then they get back to their place after dancing and eating and drinking. And they have a comfortable silence. Yep. And he's like, what would you call that? And she's like, I don't know what to call that. I don't that. know what to call That's it. a problem. He's yep. like, okay, that's she's not like, good. We need drinks. And, are- and she's already geared the fuck up. Yes, exactly. You know, like. Well, she's, yeah. She's did coke before. She's, she's doing coke in the bathroom. Yeah, she's been, ugh, she's been grinding rails for a while. <laughs> Maybe all day. Mm-hmm. Grinding more like, rails than Tony Hawk. Oh, jeez. Like. But anyways, the point is. It's been like you said. It was all laid out in advance to this moment, and that's why when it it takes such a turn when she ODs, because you see it as the viewer, you're like, oh shit, he better not, he better not, he's gonna be dead. But the point is, getting back to the characters mm-hmm. is Uma Thurman played it perfectly as the perfect bringer of chaos, but also not intentionally. She's not like trying to seduce. Vincent Vince. says it r- correctly. He goes. He doesn't want to step into the hornet's nest because he recognizes this. He goes, look, you seem like a very nice person. Yeah. That's and he, true. When he brings up the Tony Rocky Horror thing. Yeah. Because in his, I actually, I, I agree with him. She is a very nice person. Yes. She just happens to be married to one of the most notorious gangsters in LA. Yeah. And, and in, his boss. And is enjoying his, her life. Yes. We will say, which I mean, okay, that involves a lot of cocaine. Yeah. Who knows how much dick. That's, you know, but Vince is like, that ain't me. Yeah. You know, so. He's like, I'm not on that level. What this is, is a test of one's character. That's right. He even says that. Yeah. It goes back to what I was saying before. All these people have a moral code. Yes. And that's a big part of this movie. So I guess the big what if is, what do you think? Do you think if she doesn't OD, Vince does, does the wrong thing and gets murdered later? I think he pieces out. You think he leaves? Yeah. You think he talked himself into it? I think he spends another fucking 20 minutes in that bathroom, though. <laughs> well, what does he see? Like, no, He no, does. No. Actually, you know what? She ODs and he doesn't catch it right away. No, he doesn't. He goes, so who knows how long he was well, in there? They okay, don't show he, that. I remember. When he, as soon as he leads, when he comes out of the bathroom, he goes, Mia, I got to go. That's right. Yeah. It's not like he, he, he immediately rejects the drink. That's true. So. And then she's OD'd. But who knows how long she's been there, too? Well, she's. And how? Who knows how long he might have been talking to himself? That's what I'm saying. He was in that minutes. bathroom for half an hour. Yeah, he's like, 
you can do this. You can do this. You will not fuck the boss's wife. Yes. Who so cares up, that you won a, a, a twist Vince. contest? And then and then it still goes sideways for him because he's like, if, I, if the boss's wife dies when I took her he's out, like, that's worse. I'm still going to be dead. That's yeah. worse. That's well, I don't know if it's worse, but it's pretty well, bad. He does bring it up later. He's like, he's like, if he, she's like, if he doesn't know about this, that's okay. Well, we've it's true. She's we've, like, I'd be dead. He's like, I'd be deader than you. We, we've been given a baseline, you know. Yeah. Like Mia got a foot massage allegedly yeah. from Tony Rockahara, and he got thrown off a fourth story. Yeah. And, you know, through a plate glass, fucked yeah. up his speech. You know, Vincent's like, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> Whatever that is. Yeah. For just when they see each other later. Sticking right? it in the holiest of holies. After, after as you Butch, might say, he yeah, doesn't want any that's part right. of that. After Butch's boxing match. Yeah. He sees her and they're like, just in passing, like, yep. <laughs> I mean, Uma Thurman is so good in this. I don't think she acted for another two or three years. I don't know. It, that's it's, what I'm. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a it was weird the Hollywood casting. move. It's a weird thing. Yeah. She uh, I, she was nominated for best supporting actress, and didn't make a movie for three years. That is kind of weird. Isn't that very bizarre? Yeah. The next one was maybe Gattaca or something like that. And I forgot then, about that movie. It's a. We should do it for the show. Yeah. It's an. Excellent I actually movie. liked that movie. Yeah, I was. I it's an actually it an new. excellent movie. It's one of those movies where if someone tells me it's their favorite movie, I'm like, not weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little mm. weird when you could watch Pulp Fiction. Well, okay, fine. But anyways. But you get what I mean. Point it's is, a very good movie. Yeah, she was great in this. And she was nervous to do the dancing scene with uh, John Travolta. Just Who wouldn't bring that be? up now. Yeah, exactly, right? Because it's John Travolta. That only makes sense. Yeah. That's and then um, like Quentin Tarantino was like, no, no, just do stuff like this. And like kind of like did the dance for her. And she was like, oh, okay. I see. It doesn't have to be good dancing. No. She's like, the whole point is that they're just having the fun. The energy. Yeah. The and point is the energy. She got it. She's like, okay, I don't have to be a good dancer. I just have to be having fun. You just got to shake, you know, yeah. like yeah. like most people, yes. white people, especially when they're especially. out on the dance floor. Right. You know, just you just wiggle yeah. your ass a little bit, snap your fingers, you know, yeah. have fun out there. You know, we're trying. <laughs> it's probably a good point, you know, to point out the fact that they people are like, well, they come home with the trophy. So they won. They're, they're, they dance so well they won. Yeah. But Quentin Tarantino likes to point out, no, no, they stole the trophy. Not saying they didn't win. Nobody's ever said they didn't win, but they stole the trophy. But that is a move for and, them. And and it is a move for them. And the reason where that is fact, that's not conjecture, is that later on in the movie, when um, when Butch is wandering around their apartment complex, yeah. you can hear the TV or radio in the background, and it's a commercial for Jackrabbit Slims, and it talks about how the trophy was stolen. And the night and the whole and, I didn't catch that at all. Yep, it's in the movie. You can you can definitely really? listen to it. So and that was there, the night there, before. There is an inaudible part of audio that happens while he's walking through the complex. Yeah, because he walks past that's like a what TV, they're talking about. A stolen and that's trophy. What they're talking oh my about. god. A stolen trophy from Jackrabbit Slims. And that's exactly what he's they're talking about. So legitimately they stole that trophy. Like that's not even like I love it. That's not even like the soul. I never even knew to, I never even knew that yep. about the film. Yeah, that's I love a it. that's a little Easter egg that he threw in there. Before that was because an idea. When it, when you think about it, if they had a dance contest at a restaurant, they do it once a week. They wouldn't give out a trophy; they would just have it there. Yeah, and then you'd pose with the trophy, and then they would keep well, it there. You know what happened? Mia goes, "We I want, want that trophy. I want that trophy." Well, she said, Steal "I want that, that trophy." She told him, "Your your boss, Marcellus Wallace, my husband, yeah. told me to do what uh, whatever I want. I want, and I I want that, that trophy. trophy. Steal that trophy." Yeah, and Vincent went. Okay. Right. Here are the keys. Start the car. Exactly. I'll see you in 30 seconds. <laughs> Get in the passenger seat. 
we're out of here. And then, you know, like, and it, Stole the trophy. it deepens the world. Yeah. I love it. Oh, I fucking love it. Yep. I never knew that. I wanted to put that out there, make sure that, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant, yep. man. Yeah. And it's so, it fits so well, yep. too. It's such know? a minor thing. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, who cares? I mean, like, you can look at it like, oh, they won the trophy and they give out the trophy and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't change anything. But it's such a minor thing that adds to it. I love it. I well, love it's, it. it's funny to me because, like. I've wondered about this because when they arrive at the house, Mia throws Vincent the keys to the house. Yeah. And arrives later with the trophy. That's right. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Why didn't she just take her keys and walk up to the door? Her pocket and then unlock the door of her own house. Yeah. Weird move. Yeah. Never made any sense to me. But that explains it a little bit. Yep. (laughs) That level of context and detail, which is such a strength in this film. Yep. We have talked about two people. Yeah. Two characters. It's true. Film. We haven't even got into it. I also wanted to point out, since we're talking, well, we're throwing in little facts too know, here and there. there. I also want to point out that when they went into the door, the alarm starts going, right? And you have to hit the code. Oh. She hits the same button three times. So I'm assuming it's like the briefcase. That the I code didn't is notice. 666. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah. Because she leans back and doesn't even look. No. She I... just goes, hits it three times. Beep, beep, beep. The same beep, button. Beep, Yeah. Vincent has her in dip and she goes, beep, beep, beep. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have their uncomfortable silence. Comfortable silence. Which is uncomfortable. Well, I don't know what you call that. I don't know what you call it. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Bruce Willis. So they landed Bruce Willis. Mm. So let's talk about the part. Because we talked about this. He wrote parts for people. Yes. So I don't know if you know, he wrote the part for Matt Dillon. Who was really? considerably younger. He's 29 at the time. He wrote the part with Matt Dillon in... in mind he was like that's who i wanted he presented it to him and he was like i don't know let me think about it and in the meantime that he was thinking about it it was presented to bruce willis yeah and he was interested so they jiggered the script to make it a little bit older of a boxer which actually makes more sense to it the makes story more sense because he's done like he's kind of like he's kind of like he said you got one or two fights that's left. why you have the great speech from marcellus to him is like look if you think How much you're you got ass, left anyways yeah. yeah he's like look you might as well take a dive that all if you, narratively if, if you makes mean it way turns to vinegar, it does. It does. But yeah, so it was if originally written for Matt Dillon. It don't. So really, yeah. So they jiggered it that it was an old. Yeah, originally it was supposed to be like a boxer in his prime taking a dive, which also kind of makes sense. Like, yeah. it's harder that like he was talking about pride fucks with you because the a boxer in his prime would also be like, well, why I would mean, I do? I can I beat ch- this guy. I can. I have a chance to actually. I can be beat legitimate. this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, look, if but, I have a ring of fights, and I don't know if you know this. Well, I mean, I'm sure you do. Boxing, you can. You can fight when you're an old man. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Well, look at George Foreman came look, back. Exactly. Right? And he's not the first. No. Guys can come back and fight in their 40s. Yeah. It is actually one of the uh, only, I think athletic competitions prize fighting is that you can do it weirdly as an old man right if you're dedicated enough yeah but anyways point is but george foreman was the heavyweight champion of the world in his 40s he was yeah that's maybe a little bit of bullshit by uh by marcellus there but anyways <laughs> well it, he's trying to get him to take a dive well, of course he wants him to take a dive. but the point is it, it does i actually think it works out better just because an older boxer would be more likely to take the money because he's like well he's right like how much longer can i do this and I haven't won yet, so I'll take the money and live in the Caribbean. And to be honest, more likely to work his own angle, yeah. which is exactly what happens. Yes, so also true. So yeah, but anyways, they got Bruce Willis. We already talked about it. it's a big, big deal. 
The funny thing is that Bruce Willis read the script and he wanted to be Vincent Vega. And Quentin Tarantino was like, no, 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 you're going to be Butch. And he was like, but I'm the star. Vincent Vega's in the most scenes. Yes. And he's like, so I should be the star. And Quentin Tarantino was like, no, no, you're you're going to be Butch. I mean, to his credit, he did it. Bruce Willis could have walked away. It's true. He's he's known to be that kind of guy. So I uh, I have a couple stories about that. Yeah. Well, we we've talked about him in yes. past podcasts. Yep. But he was perfect for this role because, like you said, he's the older boxer. He kind of takes everything with a grain of salt. You can see it right from his first meeting with Marcellus that he's going to take the money, but. He's not going to listen to him. Well, he's you already giving him the hard stare. He is. Like, he he doesn't want to be there. He doesn't back down. He doesn't back down. He doesn't want to be there. He's like, I'm going to take the money. He's we like, don't a know. lot of money. That would afford me a lot of freedom. Yeah. He's What he's taking from it is, Marcellus is right. This is probably my last fight. So I'm going to go out winning and take the money and run. Yeah. I'm going to have the whole thing. So, because like even when he goes to the bar, right? And he stares down Vincent. Vincent gives him, calls him the Palooka or whatever. And yep. he's like, what'd you say, friend? He's like, I'm not your friend. I'm not your friend. And he, but he's not backing down. Yeah. And then even when, uh, like Vincent goes to Marcellus, he's staring him down. And you know what? The funny thing about this too, is we didn't talk about it, is it actually introduces another aspect of Vincent's character is how antagonistic he is for no reason. Yes, he is. He always wants to fight. Somebody. He always wants to fight somebody. Yeah. It, even when he is not in the right. Yeah. I mean, that's the Bonnie situation in a nutshell. I'm like, that is true. But why is he picking a fight with this random guy he's never met who's just ordering cigarettes at the bar and giving him a hard stare? Yeah, especially like, after the morning he's had. You it, think right? he just want to go home. <laughs> he is lucky to be alive and yeah. he's not even thinking about that, no. right? You know, like- uh, That's lucky. why he dies. It's true. His hubris. It's true. His uh, his lack of self-awareness. Yeah. Jules has it. Vincent yes. doesn't. Vincent does not. He can distance himself from this shit. And that's yeah. really the difference between them. It's true. I know one thing that Quentin Tarantino, I had read that he had really wanted for this kind of role is, I mean, for one, for the role of Butch to be a real kind of a bully. Right. And to see him poorly yes. at times. Okay, And yes. we do get to see that. Yes, we do. In his monomania about about his watch, which we are given context for. Yes, we are. But, but no one uh, else is. No one in the film is. Um, his girlfriend's name, Fabienne. It's a, an instance of dramatic irony. Actually, there are a few that are caused by this interwoven, non-discontinued, non-linear storytelling is that all these things happen and that... You're given privy to these these things as an audience, but yeah, that's going to happen later. But that's, you already that's see gonna it. happen later. But the important thing is that Fabienne doesn't know anything about this fucking watch. That's true. You know, she doesn't know anything. She just, about well, she knows it's important to him. She knows it's important because to him. he said, "Make sure you grab the watch." Not enough to remember, but she doesn't remember it. She's too preoccupied with pie. But she is shocked by you know by Butch throwing the the TV around the room and yes. acting like an asshole because that seemed like very out of character, right? Well, he's very sweet to her most of the time, uh-huh. but he's this. Legitimate. Well, except when he calls her a mongoloid, right? What's a mongoloid? My name is Fabi. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that voice. That mongoloid voice. He must do that often. That's the that's the other thing. It's not the first time because she's like, I hate that voice. I like, hate that voice. Why do you make fun of me that way? <laughs> If you know this about French people, don't call them mongoloid. <laughs> don't do that. They don't like it. Apparently not. <laughs> it was very different for him. 
Like John Travolta was a real departure. A, he was usually the star. Yes. B, he's rarely portrayed in so shitty a light. Right. But he does eventually win. He He is the winner of this film. He really is. He gets everything that he wants. Just not in the way he thought he would. Which leads me to a question, actually, is one of the many, many things I wanted to talk about. Now, in the aside, the cab ride over... Right, with Esmeralda. With Esmeralda. What do you think about that particular scene in the context of this whole film? Well, it's supposed to be... It's almost like giving insight to him. Like perspective. Right. That's what it's supposed to be. Yes. Yeah. I kind of feel like upon rewatch, that is the one scene in this movie that adds the least. Yeah. No, I agree. It's the most forgettable scene. Yeah. Because he... Like I said, even in the bar when he's talking to Marcellus and then Vincent, you can see that he's already like not going to take the dive. He's yeah. taking the money and, and going to double cross him. So that scene is supposed to make it seem like, although he does seem like he already has conviction. The one thing I do pull out of that, and I mean, like there's a, there is a part of it is introducing another interesting character. In, oh yeah. In Esmeralda Villalobos. Yes. But I think because these things you have to remember is that the way the the narrative weaves in on itself is that you have to look at every scene in the context of other scenes. Right. And even though this, you might say that this is a miss, he does reveal that he does have no remorse when finding out that he had accidentally killed, killed the other the boxer. Guy. Yes. So when he kills Vincent, he doesn't care. Either. He doesn't care. Yes. So he has this kind of psychopathic element to him That's that he fair. kills without remorse. Well, he also kills not Zed, but, uh, the gimp. Well, what's does the gimp die? I've always wondered about that. I think he so. punches him, and I assume he chokes. I assume that he hung. Basically. He's hanging there, but I don't know if he's Maybe knocked not. out or but he definitely hanging. killed Maynard. Oh, he definitely killed Maynard. That, okay, quick, quick aside. I got to talk about that scene. How awesome is that scene? How he keeps upgrading his weapon. What is it? It's like a hammer. Oh, okay, you went that way with that. Yes. I was, I was gonna say, how awesome is that scene? I'm like the rape scene. No. Not that scene, not that, that part. Was, that was not awesome. Right before that, the scene where he's he grabs, he, he starts with a hammer, right? Yes. And he's like, he keeps upgrading. Baseball bat. Baseball bat, chainsaw. Chainsaw. Samurai sword. Samurai sword. And Even as a kid, I thought that was hilarious. That was, yeah, exactly. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, now he's got a samurai sword. And knowing Quentin Tarantino now, his affinity for samurai movies, it just makes sense. Well, of course. You're like, oh, there's the Kurosawa. Yeah. Because like, really, when you think about it, you're like, chainsaw probably would have been easier. Right? But, nope. Well... Samurai sword. It's hard to get the drop on someone with a chainsaw. That's true. That's very true. Samurai sword is uh, I'm yep. just putting that out there. I just not like I have any spectacular, like, knowledge. <laughs> just, you gotta pull the cord and goes... You know? Like, so... Yeah, that's fair. But, yeah. I just wanted to throw that out there. How awesome that scene is. Well, there's been some speculation that that scene involves a little bit, and it is meant to be run the gamut a little bit of other iconic violent scenes in other movies and uh, that's always in play uh, makes sense when it comes to quentin tarantino that's and true the things that he's seen that's true I mean, you have to remember he's an omnivore of pop culture you're like well a hammer could be a reference to this a bat could be in reference to this a yeah. chainsaw could be in reference to this and then he settles on the samurai sword and to me the obvious touchstone is, is kurosawa yeah that, that makes sense mm. i mean i never i don't really know if it is for sure, well, but it, I, I could totally see me that. Me neither. I could totally this see is that. just people deconstructing and, yeah, and yeah. thinking about these kind of yeah. things, right? And me having my I, own thoughts. I also love the but, idea that like he, he has this moment 
that he's like, okay, I have to go in and save him. I can't leave. Morally, that's wrong. But I'm going to take the time to find the perfect weapon. <laughs> right? He's like, he's going to get raped a he's little bit. Like, he's like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you take that a little bit. Just a little bit. It's really funny that we're talking about it and just coincidentally it's it on. It happens to be on in the background. It happens to here. be on in the background. But yeah, look, he's but, just totally like, well. And he tries out every weapon. He does. He looks around the shop a lot. I'm like, you realize that every while you're taking your sweet ass time, more thrusts are happening. <laughs> he's okay with that. Well, he I was think, ready to kill him half an hour ago. That's true. He doesn't have to do this. No. We brought that up before. He doesn't have to do this. Do but... you think it's a Hanzo sword? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's in world building, right? Like, Quentin Tarantino's movies all take place in the same place, so. I love that idea. Right? It's a, in a pawn shop, there's oh a Hanzo sword. Oh my god, sword. some random oh, Hattori Hanzo I just sword? thought about this. Didn't, didn't, oh, but he didn't do it. I was going to say, in Kill Bill, his brother, what's his, the bud, mm. said he pawned off his sword, but he didn't actually. It was in his golf, no, he his kept golf it. club. Yeah. He kept but it. But he said he pawned it. That would have been great. That's just some shit he told L Driver. Yeah. Yeah. But he actually kept it in. I it. sold that. But or did he, or did he tell Bill that? I can't remember. But I remember he he, like I, I remember that. legitimately said that he, he yeah, he sold it or pawned it off. I was like, that would be perfect. Oh, he told Bill, because Bill's like, it was priceless. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I can't wait till we do our kill Bill episodes. That'll be fun. Yeah, we'll but get there eventually. We'll right? get there eventually. We'll give it a couple years when I'm ready to talk about. Yeah. Another Quentin Tarantino film. Anyways, all right. We talked about Butch. Let's move on. Who's next on our list here? There's more to say. About. Is there? Okay. Well, this was really the first time that we had seen Bruce Willis in something that I think of as kind of a more serious film, too. Yeah, I mean, that's true, I guess. I don't know if he did many more. This is kind of anomaly still in his catalog when you think about it. He kind of went back to being Bruce Willis. He went after back this. to being Bruce Willis. He totally did. I mean, even in something, it, good film, bad film. Like the fifth element. But something I didn't bring up is, I meant to, is that uh, Quentin Tarantino wanted somebody who was a bit of an aesthetic throwback as yeah. well. Yeah. He's like, look, Bruce Willis is an interesting looking leading man. Yeah. Because he doesn't look like most of our leading men are Tom Cruise's or whatever. He's just a an everyman type. Yeah. And so I think that's... Between his paunchy gut, something they reference in the movie, you know, like, he just he's just a guy. Yeah, and it's kind of, yeah, that's true. He's just a guy with a little rough edge on him. With a little rough edge on he him. He is a professional boxer, after all. Yeah, so it's something that lends itself well to this movie. Like, can you, like, I don't know, some of the other, Matt Dillon? Yep, that was who he wrote it for originally. I mean, like you said, he changed the script. So many Willis, of but. the original choices are inferior, but... Maybe we're only saying that with the benefit of hindsight. I don't know. Well, that's the thing is that we got what we got. And like I said, it's a 10 out of 10. So yeah, I wouldn't change anything. So obviously the original choices to me are inferior because I wouldn't change it. So no, there we are. I can't believe we have not talked about Samuel L. Jackson. That's where we are next. (laughs) So so Sam, he wrote the role for Samuel L. Jackson in mind, which is kind of strange because he wasn't a big star at that time. This was his first big movie. This was his first big movie. Like his career was not going so well let's say like he is not a young man in this but it really ignited his career do you know what i know samuel jackson for best from before pulp fiction what's that a small vignette at the beginning of eddie murphy's raw where he is the guy who is laughing hysterically at eddie's jokes <laughs> that's i love that doo-doo line that's quite a- eddie murphy tells this joke about is that about 
this shitting all over a bunch of people. Yeah. And all the parents are like, we don't approve of this, except yeah. for Samuel except L. Jackson, for Jackson. He loves who, it. who thinks it's the funniest shit ever. <laughs> I, I say this all the time. I love that doo-doo line. <laughs> is what he says in that. But that was like seven years before Pulp Fiction yeah. Raw, like 87 or 88 or something yeah. like that. So he was not really... His career was not going anywhere. So it shows the depth to which Quentin Tarantino is a consumer of culture. Yeah, because he had him in mind. Can you imagine looking at, at something like this and be like, that's the guy? Yeah. Be like, oh, the doo-doo line guy? Yeah. I got to use that's that guy, guy in something. Oh, he, he's it for me. Like, he might have seen him in some fucking random episode of MacGyver as, like, thug number two. Right, exactly. And you're like, I'm writing a character for thug number two. Because that's the way that guy's mind works, yeah. right? That's wild to me. Yeah. But that he brought such power and gravitas to the role and has made his career. Well, that that's almost... It's funny. It's a funny thing because he has done many big movies since and lots of roles. Obviously, Samuel Jackson is known as Samuel Jackson. Like he's a huge actor, and yet is he ever going to live up to Jules? No. Like that's that's his role. Like that's his iconic role. Yeah. It was all fair or not, kind of downhill from here. It's all that. Yeah, I didn't want to put it that way, but it's true. Well, and he was fucking Mace Windu in Star Wars, right? But this was his better role, clearly. He is so good well, at it. I, I, look, the point is, this is what I'm getting at. In, is the, that- re- in the revisionist, like, look, well, let's go back and look at the Oscar winners. He, I don't care who fucking won Best yeah, he's the Supporting sure. Actor this year. He wins. It's him, yeah. He if we do so it properly. Amazing that this movie only won an Oscar for Best Screenplay is a fucking travesty. Yeah. Well, like, come on. It's the, it's the times. Like, the thing is, it, it is. was so different. They couldn't just be, like, suddenly throw... Now, if this movie came out now, it would get more Oscars. Let's put it that way. Would it? I don't know. I think it would. With Quentin yeah, Tarantino maybe. being who he is. like Oh, if Oscars, he made it. I if get he made it mean. now, like it's, if it didn't come out in 94, if it came out in 2024, this movie I, I gets do, a shit ton of I Oscars. I do feel like a lot of disruptive films don't win awards. Yes. They're like, look, it's great, but not so great for it's better us to than upset the apple exactly. cart. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Whereas if this comes out now, I think they're like, oh, we give all the Oscars to it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, let's so. be real. Like Scorsese, Spielberg, et cetera, didn't win their Oscars for their best film. No, exactly. And we all know. Actors too. You know, like yep. that's the same. So, because we don't know what to make of it in hindsight is 2020. Yeah. They end this movie the right way. We might like the way the movie ends oh, is yeah, obviously not the end of the narrative, but to close it mostly on Samuel Jackson yes. and, and his moral uncertainty is the best way to end this movie. Yes, it is. Well, this goes back to it. We're saying it has a moral core to it. It does. It's that it, it's kind of, that's the ending. It's like, yeah, he, he's learned his lesson. I, I'm going to share another personal anecdote. When this, in 1994, I did watch the Oscars that year because I was invested in in Forrest Gump, because I thought that was the best movie I'd ever seen, because I was still young. I loved Forrest Gump. Me too. But I remember when they showed all the clips, the, like the, I guess it's the sizzle, not really, but like, you know, like they show, they showed oh, they that show clip yeah. of Samuel Jell- Jackson's end of this, you know, like his Ezekiel twenty five seventeen recitation at the end of the film, yeah. which by the way, Quentin not didn't take from true. the Bible. He took two lines from the Bible. Yeah, he took from like some Sonny Chiba thing from yes. the mid-70s. The rest is, was all, yes, that's right. Which was highly embellished. So when Sam, when Jules says, do you read the Bible? I'm just like, I'm not sure Quentin reads the Bible. No, 
two lines of that were from the Bible and the rest was made up. (laughs) At any rate, when they're showing everyone's, this is one of the few Oscar moments I have vividly in my mind of them showing that clip. That might be the best acting I've ever seen in my life. That might be the best acting I've ever seen. And that was part of what fueled my real interest in wanting to watch this film. Yeah. As uh, that Jules was so fuck like Samuel Jackson's so fucking good. I'm like, I don't know what this is, but it is so fascinating. Yeah. I want to watch this movie. Holy smokes. Does he tie everything together? And he's so funny. And honestly, another, I have like three or four lines that I say all the time or think about all the time for this movie. And one of those, ha ha, you're closed, motherfucker. Motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wish I had a Santa Cruz. Jimmy, what are they? Jimmy, what do they look like to you? Look like a couple of darks. They look like a couple of darks. Ha ha. Ha ha. You're closed, motherfucker. <laughs> I think about it all the time. I think about <laughs> I know. It's amazing. Right? <laughs> just the delivery is just absolutely perfect. I, or- I think about the, the contrast with Samuel Jackson in this movie. Like, the lines that he delivers with such power. Like, when he's delivering his Ezekiel 25-17 in the beginning. Right? The power that he has behind it. It's, it's some com- cold shit to it's say. Cold and it's commanding. It's super commanding. Well, right? he knows he's about to murder someone. But even, yeah, but it's not just then. But even like when he starts to getting mad when they're cleaning out the car with Vincent. Yeah. And he's talking about cleaning up, scooping up chunks of brain and stuff. That, Like I said, the power in his delivery. I'm super so flat TNT, motherfucker. That's right. And I'm yeah. about to blow. Why am I scooping up chunks Why of brain? Why am I scooping? Ch- your dumbass switching. in the back. That's it. Well, that's We're it. Switching. We are switching. <laughs> your, your dumbass is in the back on brain detail. That's right. Jules Winfield is one of the best characters in fucking in, in all movies. of cinema, yeah. in movies. But oh then he also God. has those quiet moments, like we said in the diner when he's reflecting and expressing himself. Seen, yeah, so so fascinating to me. And actually, part of it is honestly, Jules and Vincent have one of the best friendships in movies. They certainly do. Yeah, they haven't seen each other for three years. Yeah, and they pick up like this and they talk like, to each like other nothing, like, yeah. like like nothing happened. It's uh, it's really actually in a way like I mean they're pieces of shit because yes. Vincent, well, they're hitmen. They're hitmen. But they have this phenomenal, open, honest, hilarious friendship where they're like, they'll talk about anything, you yep. know? They'll check each other. Well, they've it's, been through a lot of shit together, obviously. Well, they've probably killed a lot of people together. Yeah. You know, it's kind of weird because, you know, Vincent's right back in town. He's probably been in town maybe well, maybe a month. Yeah. The dream team is back together and it's and it's over immediately because it's some wild shit that happens. That's right. You know? One hit and Jules is like, I'm out. I'm out. We should have shotguns for this shit. Yeah. How many guys in there? Uh, four or five. Five, including our guy? Including our so guy. could be five guys in there? Could be five guys in there. We should have had shotguns. We should have had shotguns for this kind of deal. Uh, this it's, is one of those movies up there with Empire Strikes Back that I could just talk the movie. I know. Which, yeah, we, we'll try not to do. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a movie where it seemed like everyone was nominated for Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor... Holy smokes, is Samuel Jackson. Yeah, he stands out. He's the best. He's the best in the whole movie. He stands out. He just carries this quiet intensity the whole time. And when he unleashes, it's some serious ass shit. Like, look, him talking at Brett is one of the best things in any movie. Oh, my God. In any movie. In any movie. Check out the big... And he just made that shit up because he just talked about that stuff in the car with Vincent. He just learned that shit in the car. And he's like, that's what I'm going to talk to Brett about. Another another one of my all-time favorite quotes in anything. Check out the big, big brain, brain on Brett. 
He's a smart motherfucker. That's right. Yeah, because when, because when Vincent says it, Jules has no idea. Yeah. But when Jules says it, Brett's like, oh, I know why. You know, like he's, he's, like, he's kind smarter of, than me. He's weirdly impressed. He is. He's yeah. like, wow, good job, Brett. <laughs> well, how'd you get yourself in such a fucked up situation if you're so smart? Yeah. Well, he tried to fuck Marcellus Wallace like a yeah, bitch. Like a... <laughs> that was not a, no, it wasn't a good move. It's not a good idea. Yeah. Just like what happens to Zed. Quick aside, Flock Seagulls kept fucking up in that scene. Yes, he did. Did you come across that? Yes. Yeah. Like, and it was tough. He's like, he got rattled by all the music. And I'm like, he had the least to do. He had to sit and lie on a couch. He just laid there. He just laid on a couch and got shot and he kept fucking up. Yes, I know. Can you imagine being that, like, Samuel L. Jackson has to remember this complicated speech yeah. and deliver it with an intensity and power. And this guy has to lay on he's the couch on the and couch he's couch like, and ah, moving around when he shouldn't around. be moving. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> like, just literally, we'll replace you with a crash test dummy. That's yeah. all you got to do. Yeah. Just lay there. Like Samuel, uh, I don't know what. On else a side is... note, we're talking about that scene. I just want to throw out like Phil Lamar, of course, was Marvin. Yep, such a minor role, but like yep. obviously he went on to Futurama. do a lot bigger things. Yeah, especially. Yeah, especially Futurama. Yep, he was in he was in Mad TV, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yep. I mean, I know him mostly from Futurama. Yeah, but... and even uh, Brett Frank Wally is that yeah, his Frank name? Whaley. He's been at Whaley. He's been in a ton of things. Yeah, he's been a lot of things. Then. Yeah, like been, this uh, cast big, is big time so character deep. actor. Yeah. Like, uh, even the guy who comes bursts out the door firing the, the hand cannon that was bigger than him is an Arquette sibling. Yeah, which makes sense. You know, well, yeah. Rosanna is also in this film as Judy. She's as Honey Bunny. No, she's uh Oh, no, 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 that's right. No, she's not. She's, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, she was also considered for Mia. Yes. Honey Bunny is, was a... Uh, a, a Tim Roth recommend. That's right. His yes. friend. She's yes. his friend. And the role was written for Tim Roth. Yes. And so, yes, you're right. Well, here's a here's an quasi one. You also may have there is a time where Quentin Tarantino considered making Jules and, and Vincent British. Yes. And having Tim Roth. Bringing obviously. in Gary Oldman as. And Gary Oldman. Can you which, imagine? Well, I can. Because you got to remember, Gary Oldman's just on the back of True Romance. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was in True Romance. And I mean, he had been in Sid and Nancy and a couple other big yeah. things already. I think at the time, because it's 1994, yeah. maybe he's already working on The Professional. Yeah, maybe. Gary Oldman. But he was not a, he was also making his name at the yes. time, early mid-90s, right? So. I can imagine it, but it, I mean, but we that's a very about, different film, and we are yes. I exactly. don't think it's a fit. It's not. I don't think this so. this is way better. This is yeah. Well, ten out of ten. Not changing anything. No, God, no. I wouldn't change I, the I, damn thing. I is there a single decision that was made in this film that you would no. change? No, that's, that's even the errors. I wouldn't change. No, no, because it, it's endearing. Yeah, right. Yeah, even the things like like Quentin Tarantino being Jimmy. He was never supposed to be Jimmy. No, you, yeah, like you probably read that too. Yes, that. He had so many people in mind for that role, but it never worked out. Well, he wanted to be Jimmy or Lance. Well, it came down to him being Jimmy or Lance, and Eric Stoltz was going to take the other. And he decided okay. to be Jimmy. But before that, Steve Buscemi was supposed to be Jimmy. But oh, Steve Buscemi couldn't, okay. he, he couldn't commit to it. He didn't have the time. Steve Buscemi was supposed to be Jimmy. He's and probably going to go make Lance. airheads or something. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, but, it, was, it was supposed to be. So that's why he ended up just well, as Buddy Holly. That's all he had time for. My understanding is that uh, Quentin wanted to be behind the camera yes. for the uh, the adrenaline shot scene. Yes. So he they And they didn't have somebody to play Jimmy yet. So he was like, okay, I'll just well, do it. Well, fuck it. I'll be Jimmy. Yes. Yeah. Because he was like, I need to I need to focus on this scene. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, he wanted to get... Uh, it's less important in the Bonnie situation. That gets the cinematography right. It's more important in the... Yeah. Bring Mia back. So, so talking so. about that scene, it was filmed backwards. That's how they filmed it. Because... Oh. Yeah, did you know that? So no. John Travolta was super nervous. He's, like, about filming it. He's like, I don't know, like stabbing too deep or like he's like it's like it's not gonna look real right it was like how am i gonna do this and quentin came up with he's like i'll put the needle in because it was actually in her what the needle was in no with her yeah and oh, are you fucking kidding me that's and crazy john travolta has it and pulls it out of her and they filmed it <sighs> backwards they filmed it backwards and that's how it looks that, like he's stabbing it into her that yep. that thrust yep. yeah because originally so natural because in the, originally in the script it was that he like they were gonna film it, like him actually yeah. stabbing her with it, and John Travolta was like, "I can't fucking stab somebody with a needle." Like, I- and you're like, "What? God, no! Come on!" So, so they he came up with filming it backwards. I can't believe that it yeah. was that gorilla fil- level of filmmaking. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a cheaply made film at the time. It was kind of like there an independent are workarounds film. for that. Well, oh my the workaround god. was filming it backwards. Oh my god, they got it. Oof. Crazy, right? This film is something else, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad uh, I got to mention that because I wasn't sure how that would come into play. Well, you I, got. I read you, that and I was like, "That it totally makes sense. That's that's the go-to move." But you got to talk about it, so yeah. there's that. Oh, that's brilliant! I absolutely yeah. love it. Oh, but my, yeah, I'm learning so much <laughs> about a film I thought I knew a lot about. I mean, yeah. like, but I'm like, I just, I knew that's why I talked to Mike about this because I'm going <laughs> to learn some nuggets here along yeah, the way. It was originally Steve Buscemi when he couldn't commit. He wanted Jeff Goldblum, Ooh. which is weird, right? As Jimmy. Well, you could kind of see it. Or Bill Paxton. Bill, Paxton, Bill Paxton would have been good. Bill I could Paxton would have been good. Yeah. But none of them could commit, so that's what happened. And so then it was being tossed back and forth. He's like, well, maybe I'll play Jimmy. Maybe I'll play Lance, and you'll play Jimmy. Because I could totally see Eric Stoltz playing Jimmy, too. That To me, that like those characters are almost interchangeable, except yeah. for where they are. Like, one's in the suburbs as like a legitimate dude and one's a drug and, dealer. And but the other is they're a, kind of the same character. Deals heroin. And, and they both have a very similar demeanor. Yeah. Yeah. So they were going to flip flop on those. Yeah. Yeah. But we're in the middle of the Bonnie situation on the TV. So we might as well talk about the wolf. And yeah, here we go. It's written for Harvey Keitel. He's written like, well, this is like the wolf for sure. Oh my God. And there's nobody else that could have played this. Dude, Harvey Keitel is the fucking he's, wolf. He's and if, He's the Fonz of the movie. He is like the we talk complete, about Jules being cool and like like look, he's so much cooler than everyone else in the movie. And they acknowledge it, which I love. I yeah. love that. I love that they're like, well, this is the even man. Vincent gives him shit, and he's like, look, I respect you, Wolf, but don't talk to me like that. And Wolf's like, come on, man. Yeah. And Jules and Jules is like, that's they, the fucking Wolf. Jules comments about about it later. He's like, why are you giving the Wolf shit like yeah. that? Why? Come on, that's the Wolf. Yeah. But again, Vincent antagonizing for no reason. Yeah, well, he's that's like, oh, he's an antagonist. He's like, I just don't. And he caused this situation, he did, and yeah. he causes, and he he still gets umbrage about it. He's like, you don't talk to me that way. And Jules is like, that's the fucking wolf, dude. Yeah, like come on, he can talk to you however he fucking wants. He's I, he's like, it's fucking. I, what is it supposed to be like? Eight a.m. Yeah, he's fucking partying. With he's the, he's at some kind of breakfast. He's at some sort of breakfast, classy party. breakfast. Yeah, he's in a tuxedo. In a tuxedo, <laughs> like he's at a, who goes he's driving his NSX real fucking fast. Oh boy, his NSX. <laughs> oh, I think about that all the time too. Is like, uh, I love the idea that he does. He, he leaves 10. his party. He comes and helps them out. Does his thing. They ditch the car, 
And then he picks up the wrecker's daughter. His girlfriend. Yeah, to go for a, yeah. He's like, well, I'm out from that party. I might as well go for breakfast. Yeah, so I'm going to go for breakfast with her. Yeah. <laughs> with Julia Sweeney. There is a few, you know, you see a character in a movie and you're like, they should have, would you, of course I want to see a movie about the wolf. Yes. Actually, it's funny, we're talking about it, is this moment, this tells you how cool he is because Jules comes in and he's like butter, trying to butter up Jimmy and he's like, your coffee's real good. Like, this is real good coffee, motherfucker. And he's like, I know it's good coffee. I know it's good. That's not what we're talking about. The wolf comes in. When Bonnie buys the coffee, she buys shit. Okay. (laughs) I buy the coffee because I want to fucking taste it. All right. (laughs) You don't need to tell me how good my coffee is, Jules. I know how fucking good my coffee is. So when the wolf comes in, he tastes it. He just gives him this look like, good coffee. That's gave, enough. Gave, and that was enough, Jimmy. He gave, he gave him the tip of that. He's like, yeah, good coffee. Good coffee, Jimmy. We don't need to talk about it because we're preoccupied here. Yeah, he's like, I want to acknowledge <laughs> your great coffee, but also, hey, great coffee. Yeah. Yep. And that's why, you know, as cool as Jules is, the wolf is cooler. Well. Because he's subtle. <laughs> Because he's subtle. Like, Joe's like, damn. Yeah. This is some gourmet shit. <laughs> <laughs> the wolf just gives a head nod. And yeah. he's like, hmm. And, Jimmy's, and Jimmy got way more out of that. He's yes, like, he did. He's, he's like, like he, the wolf, wolf likes my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the wolf is always in control. Look at this guy. Yeah. I love this guy. Walking around, he's got his hand in his pocket. Like, just chill. <laughs> There's a dead dude they got to take care of, but he's the... just totally chill. He's like, 40 minutes, we got lots of time. Lots of time. Yeah, this is fine. Yeah, but, Harvey I Keitel. Mean, Harvey Keitel was a big part of Reservoir Dogs getting made. Yes. I know. Yeah. And that was a big part of it. Uh, like, this is role was written, written for Harvey Keitel, and oh my God. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Like, oh, I... I, for years, I'm like, Winston Wolf is maybe the coolest guy in cinema. In, in all, he's the most Period. interesting man in the world. Before that was a thing. right. Before that's oh him. my god, that's perfectly that's it. Him. Before the most interesting man for the Dozak Keys, that was Winston that's Wolf. Winston Wolf. That's just who it is. Like he he got his shit on lock. Like, whoever wrote that commercial wrote it time. for him. Yeah, it turns out that commercial should have been about Winston Wolf. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> You're sitting in the Wolf. Damn, why did you, you had say? To say that's all you had to say? You go back in there, chill those motherfuckers out. The cavalry's coming. The wolf shall be there shortly. And then Jules' eyes get big. The wolf. He's like, the wolf. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, love we're it. Good. We're that's, golden. He is we so golden. Com- so much that's confidence. A, he doesn't even say goodbye. He just yeah. hangs up the phone yeah. on his boss. Yeah. On Marcellus Wallace. <laughs> he's like, send the wolf. Boom. Yeah, we're good. Let's have some coffee. Oh, he's like, <laughs> the wolf is coming. Yeah. Oh, all this is taken care of. Like <laughs> that is how you get a character over in a movie. Yes. Like uh, if you want to learn how to get, you're going to script writing class, how to get a character over. Holy shit. Watch this movie. That's how you get a character over. You want people to invest in your character. Talk about them like that. Yeah. Oh, they do a great job of selling the wolf. And then he lives up to the and height. He lives up to it. Harvey Keitel comes in just calm as fuck. Lays it out. Yeah. Oh, God. God. I love that even when Vincent gives him crap, he doesn't, like, get mad about it. He's like, look, if I'm Kurt, it's because we're short on time. I understand your disrespect. He even takes that cool. He's like, he doesn't get his back up. He's like, look. No emotion there whatsoever. He's like, look, I deal with your type all the time. He's like, believe it or not, this is not the first time I've had to deal with this. Yes. As a matter of fact... I do this a lot. I, I make a lot of money doing this. Yeah. I also love the idea that he was at this breakfast party or whatever it is, and he rolls up to this situation. 
he obviously came straight here. He's still dressed in a tuxedo. And when he's talking to Jimmy about buying the the blankets and stuff, yeah. he pulls out a wad of cash. So he oh was at God, this, it's so thick. It's he was like at this breakfast. Thick. He was at this breakfast with like ten grand like in his a pocket. A mountain of cash. <laughs> For what reason? I don't know. But he just carries ten wolf grand out shit. of it at all times. Yeah. Well, look, the wolf was prepared. Yeah, you know he's That's he's true. like a boy. He scout. He might be like, I have to go to work. He's a boy scout. Yeah. He's he's always prepared. You That's know, fair. He's like, it might turn out that I have to help some guys. You know, clean up a dead body out of. That's part of. That's a. That's his day. Yeah. He is the most interesting man in the world. Yeah. That's, that's you could, him. <laughs> completely. Oh my God. Completely. I'm not going to lie. If if we ever do a favorite movie characters, top 10 list oh. or whatever, the wolf is it's high up there. He's in there. He's yeah, in the he's mix, awesome. you know? Yeah. Oh, I love the wolf, <laughs> but oh God, there's so many more. I know we've only, I think that's most, we got most of the ones? major players. We got most of the major players, but we haven't talked about Ving Rhames. Oh, no, we haven't. It's Marcellus Wallace. Yeah. The gravitas. I mean, it's mostly in his voice. It's got that James Earl Jones, Darth Vader-ish voice. Yeah. He's got that gravitas. And and to me, that's what I was trying to say about that opening scene where you don't see his face. And he's he's just got that gravitas. And you're like, oh, this is this is a big deal guy. Yeah. Just the way he talks. <laughs> he's also a big guy. He's also a big guy. So he's so got he a presence. So he has a physical presence. Yes, that's right. Now, do you think there's something to the speculation, and you've probably come across this, is that his soul is trying to escape out the back of his neck? Right. Well, the that's band-aid. the speculation that it's it, it. He sold his soul, and it was taken out of the back of his neck, and it's in the brief. He stole it from God or whatever. He's got yes. his soul back. But in reality, it was just he cut his. He was shaving his head and cut his neck or whatever. See, that makes sense. And that's literally. And so he had a band aid on. When oh wait, he so that's up. real? Yes, in reality, that's what happened. Oh. Okay. So in reality, Ving Rhames shaved his head. Yeah. And cut his neck, like the bottom of his head, his neck, yeah. while he was shaving. And he showed up with the Band-Aid on and yeah. was like, look, we can take it off for filming. And Quentin Tarantino was like, no, no. it's awesome. That's another happy it's, accident. Let's well, it's a it. nice detail. He's like, yeah. because we're going to be staring at the back of your head for two minutes. That's true. So he's like, it's a nice detail where people are like, That's why, interesting. Is there, why is there a Band-Aid? Yeah. I love that about this film is it yes. does things like that. It's like it makes you ask questions that aren't necessarily there. Otherwise. Exactly. And people make up stories based on yes. it. Like people are like, oh, his soul was taken from there. Quentin Tarantino never said that. You have that to was remember, never that's, his that's idea. the way a mind works. It fills in the gaps. Yes. Because we understand things in terms of narrative, and this movie is all about narrative. The things that we don't understand, we want to attribute meaning to. Yeah. And that's a big. that was a big one. Like, there's no answer. It's usually something nope. so mundane as... And that answers it perfectly. He was shaving his head and he cut the back of his cut neck. Cut the back of his neck, yep. And yet we create this whole narrative around this happy accident. That's right. And that's one of the, the great things about this film is that these these things happen and people get deep diving about shit and there's, there's, there's it's, nothing there. No, you're at the shallow end there. of the pool, <laughs> you know? Yep. You If you dive in there, you're going to break your neck. There's nothing there. Yeah. So it's one of those things where that's why I don't believe the whole... It's the soul in the briefcase because I'm like I don't think he ever intended. Well, that wasn't an intention. Of it. Absolutely, that somebody made that up and no. the internet ran with it. And ran with it. Yeah, but there's not anything that disproves it either. That's true. You know, the internet gets his theories. You know, it's... yeah. Michael, though, yeah, be remiss if we didn't talk about Christopher Walken. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh my God. Right? How did we not talk about Christopher? How Walken? How we not fucking talked about Christopher Walken? His, his monologue. Oh my God. He was probably on set for maybe a day. Yeah. He probably spent maybe 20 minutes thinking about his lines. Yeah. But yet his little 
scene is such a crux yeah. well, of this whole movie. Yeah. This movie has so many amazing scenes. That is maybe the best scene in the movie. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh, no. Uh, Jules shooting Brett is probably the best scene in the That's movie. That's the best scene. That's in, for Which sure is saying scene. something. But, God, what a great but scene. But it's fantastic. Holy smokes. And can you imagine anyone else but Christopher Walken delivering that, though? No. I carried this watch around in my ass <laughs> for two years. Yeah. Who else can say that? And you're like... <laughs> Okay, I'm yeah. going to take that shit seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Christopher Walken, I'm like, yeah, okay. Story checks out. <laughs> he died of dysentery. dysentery. Of course he did. He had yeah. a watch in his ass yeah. for five That's years. right. Yeah, that's going to happen. But it just says- I'll be damned. If they were gonna get- I'll be damned if some- Well, I'm not going to yeah, say the yeah, words yeah. that they used to make this movie, but- uh... <laughs> So I carried it around. <laughs> in my ass. In my ass. I love he's telling a little kid this story. Oh, God, I know. He doesn't need to tell him this. And little Butch is just soaking it in. He's soaking it all in. Yeah. And I love that about how Butch dreams about it constantly. Yeah. You know, it's at the core, this this watch, you kind of, it really resonates how important that watch is to him. Yes. You know, he's like, I don't remember well, my dreams. Well, you get why he threw he's like, the he TV does. across the room. Yeah. He's like, I don't remember my dreams. And you're like, this is the important object of his life. Yeah. Basically. And that's what I was going back before. You're like, look, one MacGuffin we know nothing about, and another we know tons. You know everything. You know everything about it. The hidden entire literal history of that watch. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, like there's these two parallels in the MacGuffin, because there's <laughs> two MacGuffins. In there, and, it, and it was like anything else. It's just something to drive the plot along. But but it is funny. It's such a small role. Like, really. Didn't have to get Christopher Walken to do it. I can't imagine anybody else doing that. Oh, no. That. No. Every choice is perfect. Christopher yeah. Walken is... Like, Christopher Walken is a great actor. Yes. But he's one of those actors where it's hard to see him outside of himself, just because yeah. we've seen him so much, and he's so Christopher walken such he, Well, he's such that his way of talking, right? Like, yeah, no one else cadence, talks that way. his cadence is very idiosyncratic. He's yeah. his, He's got his own thing. It, it actually... I kind of sound like him sometimes, I feel sometimes like. Sometimes you do. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I got that stutter, and I... I talk over myself and sometimes quick, but that's why I think my Christopher Walken is pretty I'm good. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> but so great is Captain Coons. Yes, like, and it, it's a weird pause in this movie. It's it like, is. It's almost like the intermission of this film. That's that a good scene. way to put it because it is. It's it kind is. of at the halfway point. It's at the it's halfway like... point. It's almost a breath, a reset, because yeah. all this shit has happened. I believe it happens. Butch doesn't go back for the watch yet. What? immediately i think it is right before the boxing match it's right before the boxing match but mia's overdose yeah and the fallout from it's after the fallout of that yes yeah and it's funny because in a time frame those two events are actually happening simultaneously right is um mia and boxing date and the boxing match right so it acts as this kind of nexus in time temporally in a way too yeah that kind of binds the movie together that way. Think about all the movies you've ever seen in your entire life, basically. Yeah. The artistic ones, the commercial ones, the weird ones. That scene is very bizarre. Yes. It, it, no, it really is. Even in for it great filmmakers, yeah. it's a very bizarre scene. It really is. And almost unnecessary, except that it, it gives... 
the justification for how Butch acts. Well, exactly. That's you understand Butch's motivation. But you don't need that. I mean, the movie no. would have been fine without it, but it does add to it, right? Yeah. It, it makes Butch not just a jerk. Like, And that's kind of how you, you would see him otherwise. I, I with Along with the cab scene, I think that's what those the two idea scenes are supposed to do is give you a little bit of insight into Butch. Yeah. Which is weird because we don't... Quentin Tarantino doesn't do that for any other character in the nope. movie. No. Nope. Only Butch. Yeah. Weird to me that that's the case i only thought of this now why because it all happens i guess through dialogue naturally for all the other characters like jules for example i think it's i think that's example you you have to catch up on butch i think that's exactly what it is yeah i think he doesn't have as much screen time up to that point right so they're they're trying to he's just trying to catch you up like this is this is who this guy is and this is his background yeah like fabienne is a good character yeah but as butch's lover you're not going to learn a lot about him In that kind of way. No, exactly. So he kind of needs fleshing out in these other narrative ways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes that's sense. what it is. Because, I mean, Jules and Vince, you just get it. They, Yeah, exactly. From With them. their conversations. Or Vince and Mia or whatever, yeah. right? Like, you just get that from them. Their discourse. I mean, even Tim Roth is Ringo. You, you know everything <laughs> about him, just... I love that he calls him Ringo. Well, does he have a real name? I guess not, right? Yeah. Pumpkin. Pumpkin? I think that's what he's credited with, it's isn't it? In the credits, like, it's Pumpkin. Yeah. Like, Honey Bunny at least gets Yolanda. Yes. Yolanda, you gotta chill the fuck yeah. out! <laughs> I said, bitch, be chill! Yeah. <laughs> I think that's most of the acting in this film. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we hit... We hit it's I funny mean, because we only have, like, 12 characters, really. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about Eric Stoltz. I think we did briefly. Yeah, we talked about him briefly. We didn't talk about really about Peter Green as Zed, as being the real mm. villain of the whole movie. As the uh, just the pure only, evil. Well, the guys in the pawn shop, yeah. Zed and Maynard, are the only people who I don't think have a moral code, they and don't. I think it's intentional that it Zed is, is a cop. Yeah, I think it so is. So the too. shittiest person probably in the whole film supposed to be the best is the cop. Yeah, because this movie doesn't deal with cops otherwise. No, it doesn't. It's just criminals doing criminal shit for the most part. Yeah. Like, there are things that humanize all the other characters, almost. Yeah. Even in this dirtbag world. Like, even in a weird way, maybe Brett just made some bad decisions. Yeah, well, you never got his side of the story, because Jules won't let him tell it. No. <laughs> I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. thing. Well, that wasn't Brett. No. No. That was Marvin. That was Marvin, yeah. Oh, man, I shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> oh, God, I, this movie is so quotable. I know. This might be the most quotable movie of all time. That's the other thing. We can talk about the script, but... Oh, one anecdote we didn't share, because we're watching it. <laughs> you have the bad motherfucker wallet. I certainly do. Were you meaning to bring that up? Uh, I was going to at some I can't, point. I can't believe that didn't come up yet. I don't know. I, well, I don't know how you work that in, but yeah, I I, I know, till this I day, I mean, we're watching it, and I'm like, for years, you've had the bad motherfucker I wallet. I have. It, it would be interesting to see what this movie would have been like if it was him and, and uh, Gary Oldman, but... No, but he also is. was a big part of Reservoir Dogs. So. Yeah. It's weird that we didn't see Tim Roth in more shit after this. It's true. Well, he did four rooms with him. Well, yeah. And he basically, though, he didn't, maybe because it's aesthetic, maybe because of the look, leading man stuff. But he basically went on to do more character actors. Yes, stuff. he did. Definitely did. Like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Like uh, the only guy who really seems to know how to use him is Quentin Tarantino. Right. He's not that he's a good or a bad actor. I actually think Tim Roth is an excellent actor. Yeah. 
but with his accent and the way he looks, it's it is hard. What roles like the roles are limited? I think it is. That's yeah. all. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. He's good at this kind of stuff. Yes, exactly. He's perfect at these this. gritty crime dramas. Like, yeah, I think I think we've covered all the acting then. Oh, I'm sure we missed. Except that, for though. Quentin Tarantino, we haven't talked about as Jimmy really. Okay, as somebody who has a reputation as not a great actor, yeah. he's good in this. He's I love really him. Good in this. this. I Jimmy. love him as Jimmy. I think it's perfect. Everyone, uh, more than once, I've seen people shit on his acting. I think yeah. he's perfect no, as he's, Jimmy. I think he's really good. He gets a lot of great lines. He has. Well, yeah, he does have. A I mean, lot everyone of great in this lines. film has great lines. Yeah, it's true. He just not like he sold himself short. He gets good lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say it all the time. Dorks, dorks look like a couple of dorks. But I mean, I also I'm mean, like earlier. You need to make some calls. You need to talk to some people. Well, fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get fucking divorced. Okay. <laughs> he nails it, right? Yeah. Like, can you imagine just waking up? Your wife is still at work. You're having your good morning coffee. Your guy uh, calls I, we, you up like, I'm coming. One of your good buddies calls you up. He's like, I'm bringing a dead body to your house. Yeah. I'm like, all right, Michael. Yeah. All right. You and me have been through some shit, but. <laughs> You would not let me park that car in the garage. I might have this. I might, but I might have the same conversation that he has with Jules. I'd be like, Colin, stop drinking your beer and get to work. Yeah, so I'd say, he'd be like, Colin, no, you, can't you don't have get a to beer. drink any beers yeah. until you get to work. Yeah. That's... That, that, this is the deal. The body goes, and then you can have a beer. That's right. And I'd be like, okay. That would be the conversation we would have. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> That's how it would play out. A hundred percent. We all know this. <laughs> I think that's mostly it, though. Yeah, I wanted to throw out one With interesting thing. The actors, um, the when Quentin Tarantino was on screen as yeah. Jimmy, yeah. it was Robert Rodriguez who was filming the scenes. Really? Yeah, uncredited, but he Aww. was the one behind the camera. That uh, that fills my heart with a warm glow. Yeah, because you're like, oh, they've been friends even that long. I don't even know if Desperado was out yet. I think it was right around the same time. El Mariachi definitely was. Oh, El Mariachi was what I'm thinking of. Like El Mariachi definitely was, but I don't know if De- Desperado no, was. No, I think Desperado yet. might have been 95. Because Desperado like... was the very first R-rated movie I saw in the in the theater. Yeah. Because, okay, I could say something very crass, but it's Summer Hayek related. That's all, that's all you need to know. <laughs> I cleaned it up, which I rarely do for it's this Because you didn't say anything. Oh boy! I clean it up by not saying anything. Yeah, well, <laughs> so Colin, that's how Colin cleans up his vocabulary. Not talking. I said nothing. <laughs> no comment. I'm just like I'm just saying. Salma Hayek. That's okay? all I have to say. That's all I have to say. Oh, but in anyways, the, in the mid '90s. Oh my God. Anyways, <laughs> context. Yeah. I just wanted to throw out Robert Rodriguez. Was I the love one filming those scenes. Okay, so that's pretty cool. Did you have any other things that you had to had to bring up? No, well, I have one more thing that I was going to bring up earlier, and I forgot. We're well, talking bring about it up. Vince being the antagonist and pissing off Butch in the bar. Yeah, is according to Quentin Tarantino, Butch is the one that keyed Vince's car. Really? Yeah, because he went left the bar and was like, "Fuck this guy." <laughs> but well, know. there's nothing non-canon that doesn't make that not make sense. I look at it like Quentin Tarantino. So maybe he preemptively knew he's like this fucker. Yeah. This fucker's gonna do something. No, he did it. He keep, well, no, he except how the he car would... after he was saying. That's what I mean. But Vince has already given him the stink eye. Yeah, in the bar. Yeah, he's like, "Why is this dude giving me the stink eye?" Yeah, you heard me, Punchy. Yeah. So, anyways, not just... your friend Palooka. And I just uh, like, like I said, I, I'm a, I'm the type of believer that like Quentin Tarantino wrote the script. If he thinks that's the idea, 
then that's the truth because he wrote it, even if he didn't think of it at the time. If later he well, filled in the gaps, I'm like, he's the creator. So if he... It's the authorship criticism. Yeah. Whatever somebody says about the work of art that they created, that is the ultimate truth of the, the work of art. That's how I feel. If Quentin Tarantino is on record saying that Butch keyed his car, I assume that is what happened, regardless of whether or not we see it on the screen. I will take that as the yep. gospel truth. But also it deepens my love of the film. It does. Because this is a film that lives beyond the celluloid in a lot of ways. We talked about before how metatextual it is, how self-aware it is, how very different it is. I think that was jarring for a lot of people in 1994. Oh, for sure it was. Coming back to how self-referential it is. Another quote I came across and I keep referencing Siskel, but honestly, he's one of my all-time favorite film critics. Yeah. I don't always agree with him whether or not something is a great film. But my favorite quote I've ever heard about this film is that he said that this film does what all great films do, make fun of other films. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, kind of in a way. Yep. Except I think in Quentin's case, he's not making fun of. I think it's an homage. Well, it's absolutely an homage. And I think that's something that people didn't get about Quentin Tarantino at first either. Is I, that- I think because it, one, it's so violence-laden. Yes. And it seems like a cynical, yes. nihilistic enterprise. But actually, he loves those type of movies. And that's why Pauline Kael resonated so much with him as a critic, is because she was like, I don't give a shit about any of these other things. I think her brain kind of worked towards film the same way. Right. His did. Now, they didn't exactly see eye to eye on the kind of films they enjoyed, but that is the reason why you get your ass in the in the cinema is to spend two hours with something that you love, you know, that fills yep. you with something that makes that takes you out of yourself for two hours or whatever. And for better or worse, whatever you feel about his work, that is what Quentin Tarantino has really strived to do. Of course. Is capture that experience. Yes. And when we talked, for example, about I think one of the great scenes that he has done, period, is Margot Robbie washing herself on the screen. Right. Because I feel like that was such another metatextual moment because I feel like that's what Quentin feels like when he watches his own movies. It is. On the screen. I don't know if he's ever explicitly came out and said that, but that is, I feel like, the point of that scene. Yeah. You know, and the fact that we're talking about this really, I I think, puts a nail in that, right? So. Yep. A A thousand percent. Now, I think most of the major things... That we talk, we wanted to talk about, I think, yep. about this movie. I think we touched on, right? For sure. There's one other big thing, but I I honestly don't really want to get into it. <laughs> I don't want to leave any stone unturned. The we o- put this off for two fucking years, dude. All right, all right. So the only other thing I wanted to talk about was how it's a big deal. The reason it got made and it was such a big deal also was that it was a Miramax movie. Oh, of course. I, was, I meant to bring this up, too. Is that it? Miramax Harvey was, Weinstein was a huge advocate for this film. Yes, because if people don't don't know, like, forget about all of Harvey Weinstein's things or whatever, but their big thing, the Weinstein brothers, was fuck major studios. They're going to do things differently. Yep. They're going to put out movies that, like, no major studio would touch this movie. No, no other major studio would make this movie because it hurts their reputation. They're Not like, only that, that many f bombs in a movie. But think about this: this is the first movie. Miramax had other credits on their role, but as a distributor, this is the very first film they ever fucking made where they are the principal financier. Yeah, they bankrolled it. Yeah, they bankrolled it. That's right. Like before, they were buying movies. This before. changed their business model. Yes. So as much as 
For better or for worse, this movie changed the game in American cinema on a movie level. It also changed it on the back end on an indie film distribution level. That's right. So it's something that we, because you're right, I you should open that can of worms. We yes. might as well. We're here. Yeah. So it's a big deal, though. It's a big deal. There's nothing about this movie that's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It is the indie movie. Yeah. It made its budget over like 3,000 fucking percent. Yeah. Well, it was, yeah, 8.5 million, 213 million. Like, I can only think of a handful of other movies and, like uh, that became real phenomenon. And none of them can touch this movie aesthetically. No. Like, one is um, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Right. Which is a movie that was made for nothing and made right. a shit ton of money. Another one is uh, Blair Witch Project. Right. And but those were all very much of the cultural zeitgeist. Yes, that's true. They're not. They, they were. They these movies. Those movies are locked in fucking whatever age they're from. Yeah. This movie is encased in amber. It's gonna be great when I'm dead. Exactly. We might as well start wrapping up. Yes. Because I have a lot. We, we are. About, I just wanted to mention that that. Was yeah, a, that I'm glad was you brought part. that up because that was a big thing. That was a big deal. Everything that you can th- say or think about this movie for me, on every on every front is is. Endlessly fascinating and interesting. I think this is one of the major works in American art in my lifetime. Uh, I don't think that's hyperbole to say. Yeah. It, which is the irony is if it is so postmodern, and I typically don't enjoy postmodern art, <laughs> but I found something in the core that not a lot of people think was there. Oh, we talked about this. Mm-hmm. I think this movie does have a moral center. Yeah, I totally think it does. That it has a didactic purpose. In modern art, that's what a lot of the criticism is, is not about something. That it's a Seinfeld. That it's a yada, yada, yada. That it's not about anything. I don't think that's true about Pulp Fiction. No, I don't think that's I actually think that this movie slyly has a lot more to say about a lot of things than it's given credit for. But you have to dig for it. Yeah. You know, this movie rewards multiple, multiple viewings. It's just as good now as it is almost 30 fucking years ago. I actually, like I said, I, I feel like it's better because it's aged so well. Is this the best movie you've ever seen? It's in the it's fucking right, talk. It's right there. It's right it's there. It's a 10 out of 10, which is very few. There's very right. few movies you ask me 10 out of 10. Pulp Fiction's there. I, I, like, I said it when we started. If you had to, I was like, what's the best movie you've ever seen? I'd be like, Ugh. I Pulp Fiction would be in the conversation. Yeah. It's yeah. in the conversation. Even its errors are, and there are a couple. Yeah, there's a few errors. Dialogue errors? There are. Yep. Um, yeah, the, the opening sequence and when they go back to the coffee shop, it's Yolanda's different. Yolanda's dialogue Yolanda's doesn't match. different. Yep. Yolanda, ugh. And there's a part of me, you know, there's these questions like, you know. What's going on here? Was did the editor not catch it? Did Quentin not catch it? Is it intentional? Like. Yeah. He's also known well. Once upon a time in Hollywood, he put mistakes in on purpose. So exactly. He's also the type to be so, like that's that's endearing to him because the movies he loved had mistakes in them. You almost feel like it's all a work. Yes. Like wrestling. Yeah. Like it's all exactly. a fucking work. Yeah. Like even when Quentin talks about his films, it's all a fucking work. Yeah. That feeds that yeah. line between the auteur and the art is so perforated and thin. Yeah. Well, I I feel like. And that is another real strength is that more than any other cinema maker, any other director, et cetera, you get a real glimpse into somebody's psyche, their soul yeah, or mind. For sure. 
through his films. Not only it reveals so much. He doesn't right? just make movies for the viewer. Somebody like a Scorsese, he's making movies for the viewer, what he feels like the viewer wants to see, like he's making the perfect movie. I feel like Quentin Tarantino makes a movie that he wants to see. As much as I love Scorsese, and I do, he is this real Henrik Ibsen, you know, uh, to get fucking dramatic. (laughs) But somebody who is, this art is this impressive thing that's beyond him, and there's this real line between him and the art, you know? And uh, it's this distended world, and it bleeds together in Tarantino in a way I think is very refreshing. Yes. That actually is more humanistic and real. Well, that's what I was going to say. It feels like he's one of us. He's yeah. A, he's sitting enjoying his movie as well, much as we he are. He is the dork in the- He's the dork enjoying In the it, yeah. shop that we have also been. Yes, exactly. He just happened to make the movie. <laughs> and he ended up at the Vanguard- Accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was no seat waiting for him. Yeah. You know, like, there might have been for... Well, okay, Scorsese was... But, I mean, Spielberg crafted it himself. Yes. But, I mean, in my lifetime, I can't think of anybody who's probably more important than to American cinema than Quentin Tarantino, which is weird because no one else can make his films. Yeah. he He's the only one that makes that, that type. And, and he doesn't even make that many movies compared no. to other directors. That's the other thing. He's very selective because he does everything. Right? In the last 10 years, Spielberg, I think, is even late Spielberg has made as many films as Tarantino's made, period. Yeah, exactly. And these are all guys who pick and choose their projects. Yes. But Spielberg creates, or Quentin Tarantino creates everything. Exactly. He's involved Starts in every aspect up. of it, right? And, like, so, and that's my point, is that it's it's such a labor of love. For him, it's that he wants it to come out to be exactly how he'd want to see it, not how someone else is going to view it. That's yeah. how I feel like he, he makes it. I mean, there's a reason why he gets the the written and directed credit. Yeah, because he does both those things. <laughs> like, I mean, for this film, he negotiated that with Roger Avery. He's like, look, I want the written and directed credit. Yeah. Because some of the ideas that Roger Avery had around the time, and it was back and forth between like this movie yeah. and True and Romance. And, uh, and what Roger Avery went on to do is Killing Zoe, which is not a good movie, <laughs> which I've seen. But- Sometimes when you're in this creative Petri dish, things just happen, right? But yeah. it's always been important to him to be involved in every aspect of the yeah. filmmaking. You know, he's kind of, I think, oh my God, they make entirely different films, but like our modern Kubrick, you know? Right. Yeah. In his own way, like Kubrick wanted to take a hundred scene like shots of the same the film same to thing. psychologically to sure. break yeah. Well, not just to get it perfect, but to also psychologically break his actors. Right. Because it was like, you know, psychological warfare. Uh, I'm getting off tangent. But (laughs) there's a reason why Harvey Keitel walked off Eyes Wide Shut. Right. He would probably do 50 movies with Quentin Tarantino. Right. You know? Well, Quentin Tarantino is the opposite, is that they said that Quentin Tarantino will shoot a shot. And when he, he knows when he likes it, he's like, all right, we're done. And they're like, you sure? You don't want to do another one? He's like, nope, that's it. Done deal. Eastwood too. Eastwood too. He's like, let's fucking, we're done. Yeah. That was like, good. What are we going to do? Better? Yeah. Nope. That was the one. So done deal. Yeah. Kubrick's attitude was like, well, we might not improve and probably not. Yeah. But I'm here to wage psychological warfare with my actors. <laughs> Which, Which is kind of crazy. And Anyways. Back on track. I'm just talking about great American directors. Yes, I know. But yeah, I got sidetracked. I got sidetracked. <laughs> 
I, in my, all my years on this earth, I can think of only a handful of films where I'd be like, eh. no, it's on the same level of this film. Yeah. There's not a lot. I, it was revolutionary. Truly. Yes. yes. That's, I don't think that's hyperbole. Yeah. And have you ever met anybody that dislikes this movie? Not everybody reveres it as the same way we do. Well, even people without taste like this movie. That, well, that's, yeah. yeah. That's kind of I don't my, mean to sound like an asshole, but, no, but you know it's what I true. Mean? My point is people that don't revere it like us are at least like, oh yeah, I liked Pulp Fiction. There's nobody that's like, oh, I watched that. I couldn't believe it. Like, I hated that. Like, well, because it's one of the few films that exists in both worlds. Yeah. It is both a work of art and incredibly and enter- entertaining. entertaining. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. But it's because it's meant to do both. Yes. It's seriously weirdly meant to do both yeah it's almost part of the raison d'etre i i mean you don't you're like is tarantino debasing film or is he elevating bs stories well, that's what he's doing you know it's yeah i think so well i think i think i mean forget he's about like look you guys need about to read what, some elmore leonard you know forget like about what need- you think he accomplished but what i mean is what he's that's what he's trying to do he's trying to take b movies and elevate them of course, and that has basically been his entire career. And that's what he's always wanted to do. So, I mean, you can look at it like you can snub your nose and be like, oh, it's this material is is garbage, you know, like, but you can't disregard the craftsmanship he has in his movies. No. So, And that's what it comes it down is, to. It is the craftsmanship, the script, like, we've talked at length about the script, the pacing, the orientation of the narrative, it, the way it feeds us. Yeah in on itself, the way we learn about characters, the way events unfold and not think that's not a master. That's a master. Yeah, he is. And right? that was his second movie. In 1993, that's a fucking master. Yeah. You can't tell me otherwise. This movie is so competently made yeah. and so much care was put into it. You can't tell me that's not a fucking master. Yeah. It's weird because I'm at this weird point in my life where I wonder what great works. We're in the AI age. Okay. Yeah. So I wonder what works are are left to be made in my lifetime. I don't know. Is this the best film that will ever be made in my lifetime? I think maybe it is. It might be. You've still got lots of life left, but it might well, be. Well, we'll see. I have a pretty reckless life. <laughs> fair enough. I go through some shit in my time, man. That's like, true. That's right? fair. fair enough. But. I don't know. I don't know. I it's It's hard to see anything getting better than this. Right? Yeah. Now you understand why I put this off for so long. Yeah. Because I'm like, this needs to be a special show. Yeah. Like, it's Pulp Fiction. We only get to probably bang this out once unless we didn't fucking revisit this in like five years or something for still doing the show. <laughs> it's one of those movies like Crocodile Dundee. You can't, when someone tells you you've never seen it, you just shake your head. <laughs> You're like... I'm glad that's why it's like Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> I was well, worried where you were going with that. <laughs> well, Crocodile Dundee, when I was a kid, that was the movie that everyone had seen. It was always on TV. That was the movie everyone had that seen. That and Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters. Always on It's TV. one of those movies there's somebody like, you seen Crocodile Dundee? And someone's like, no. He'd be like, that's weird. You're a weird person. You're a weird person for that. <laughs> that's true. Not so much anymore. I don't think it's on TV anymore. I've been talking a lot. What are your, <laughs> what are your thoughts about the legacy of Pulp Fiction? Well, I mean, like we talked about right at the beginning of last episode, is that personally it meant a lot to me. It was it was just it was such a different movie, and I'm lucky that the time frame of when I was informing of what movies I liked in my life it came out. Like yeah. I'm, re- I'm I'm really lucky and fortunate. Like you think about like the movies that are coming out nowadays, and it's like it's not a lot as this. Like you said, this is different even for nowadays, and they've made copy movies. Oh, of course. So 
Often imitated, never duplicated. And and this is is this kind of the point you were talking about? Is this the best movie that's ever going to be made while you're alive? It's like, or when someone bursts in the door to ask you what the best movie ever made was? Yeah. It's so personally important, and I love this movie. There's other movies that I watch more because I enjoy certain things about it. But this is probably the best movie I've ever seen. Right? And that's all there is to it. Like, I, I just, I can't think of a movie that's better all around than this movie. Like, where's, I just can't. where's the chink in the armor? There's, there's nothing. There's nothing. And it's 30 years old, and I'm still asking new questions yeah. about it. Again, I, I said right at the top, it's a 10 you know? out of 10, and I probably, uh, I can count on probably one hand 10 out of 10 movies. I'm almost growing around it. Yeah. I'm learning new things about it. Yeah. yeah I learned some things just by talking to you doing the yeah. show. I knew that would happen. You know, I'm, I'm coming at it with new eyes. There's something that shocked me for years. I thought that uh, when Marcellus is taking Jules' call, that it's just some random girl that he's having breakfast with in the right. morning, chilling him out. And I'm like... No, no, no. That's Mia, it's but her she looks radically different. Yes. With the hair cap on. Yes. And I'm like... That's her. That is her. Yeah. And I'm like... She's also recovering. Yes. So she's got the dark sunglasses on, and she's like... Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no. That hasn't happened yet. Oh, that's right. It's they before. They haven't gone on the date yet. Yeah. No. You're right. That's before. Yeah. Because they still have the... The talk Banana about how, shirt and have you met the Mia? Bar and have you met Mia? Oh, <laughs> That's boy. right. It is before. Uh, this is between me, the bar, and my name is Paul. Like, thanks, Paul. Thanks. Did for you know that, that the, I can't remember his name. His real name is Paul, but the actor that played Paul, yeah. the, the bartender, did such a great job in his uh, his audition that Quentin Hill also almost gave him the role of Jules. I did know he that. wrote it for Samuel Jackson, but he yeah. did such a great job that he was like, "Oh, I'm thinking well, about this you guy." You get a character, and yeah. Samuel Jackson was like, "Well, he had to re-audition for the role he was written for him." That's enough sides. Yeah, I know. Let the internet do the work. <laughs> it's yeah, rare. It's we'll rare that it. it's rare that I say this, <laughs> but oh my god, you know what? It we can just go on forever. Yeah, um, this might be a three-parter. I'm serious when I say that. I hope not. I hope not. But anyways, well. All right. We've said our piece. We've said our piece. We love Pulp Fiction. Pig, you gotta be real charming like I that. can't believe him. <laughs> Marvin from Green Acres or some shit. <laughs> I can't believe we went through this whole thing and 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 didn't talk about that. Oh my god. The quotes from this the, movie. The quotes from this movie are crazy. I I know. They have a word for that, Jules. Oh my god, we You'll didn't be even talk about it at all. Like every time I see you when we talk about something you like, one of us will say, You dig it the you, most. I know, you dig it the most. <laughs> We say that all the time. I say that all the time. This is my point. Like, like, man, you dig it the most. I think it's actually, in our lexicon because it's it in really our, is. It's part of who we are. When Weirdly, we're growing up. I think this is actually my ultimate compliment for this movie. Like certain aspects of my personality, like something like Prince, it shows up. Pulp Fiction is a part of me. Yeah, I, I and I can't give a, a higher compliment to yeah. anything. And I, that's what I was I just gonna think. say. That's our closing words. Is that Pulp Fiction is so important to us? It literally is. Yeah, it, I think it's a part of it me. Formed in a way. part of who we were. Part yeah. of my personality, no, I think, sure. is informed it, by this film. Yeah, it does. It absolutely did. I don't think I can give a higher compliment than that. Yeah. Really, no. it's 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 part of who I am. Yeah, and and I'm happy for that. Straight dime. Yep. Well, yeah. Let's let's cap it off there. Let's cap it off there. Yep. I would uh, please ask you to go to Instagram, 
Check mm. out beers.n.banter.mc. Please do. Tell us what movies you think are better than Pulp Fiction. I want to hear it. I want to hear oh, what you we think. Are, we're always open for that yeah. discourse. If it's Avatar, I'm deleting you, though. Oh. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. But tell me what movies are better. And I know one other thing that you'll never be able to top. Tell me what beer is better than what we drank. Oh, my goodness. You can't. It's it's too good. This this Pineapple Paradise Pilsner. I had to mention it again because it's so good. I thought that nine and a half was aggressive. And then you came in hot with the 9.7, was it? Yeah. Right? And I actually bumped it. I bumped it to 9.8 because when I was first going to say it, I was 9.8. And I was like, that's too good. I, I, it's back up. It's 9.8. One it's of a the 9. best 8. beers you ever drank. It's one of the best beers. One of the best movies you ever seen. Yeah. What it, a show. It was perfect. Yeah. What a show. That worked out nice. All right. Well, Michael. Yeah. Till next time. Party on, Colin. Party on, Mike. He died of dysentery. dysentery. Of course he did. He had a yeah. watch in his yeah. ass yeah. for five years. That's right. Yeah. <laughs>